All right, we got a beautiful day here in the studio at the Bomb Hole, which is presented by Pub Beer and Run Through a Wall Smelling Salts. Today in studio, co-hosting to my right, we got Jules Spadero, the GM of the Bomb Hole. Jules, how you feeling today? What's happening? Uh, I'm feeling very well rested this morning, Chris. How are you? Mm, feeling great. Thanks for asking. Mm-hmm. Appreciate that. And then we got Silk back there on the boards, the producer, with Madison Blackley next next to him. They're going to be chopping it up. Silk, how you feeling today? What's happening? Doing good. We've got a, got a supporting cast member today. I think it's going to be good. Yeah, Madison, what's happening? I'm hyped to have Nora here and support her, and I uh, can't wait to see what the show looks like. Amazing. It's the first time we've had uh, somebody else in the silk cam. That's actually, that's a bomb hole first. Yeah, MBD. Yep, MBD. MBD. And uh, the guest of the day, we got Nora back here in studio. Nora, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here, guys. Well, we're excited to get it in and chop it up with you. Uh, for people who don't know who Nora is, Nora is on the forefront of progression in street snowboarding. She can also destroy the park. She's sitting on a stack of great video parts. Most notably, her footage in Hot Cocoa is pure A-grade. Also, she has been through a lot in the past few years in terms of battling injuries, addiction, much, much more. It should be a hell of a chat, but let's get into it. So uh, what brings you to Salt Lake, Nora? I was driving around. I was just down in San Diego hanging out with my little sister and my family for Thanksgiving. Um, My little sister just got a job with the federal government, right? So not the CIA, but it's the... I might not be allowed to talk about this. I'll text her later and see if I can say it. Um, She's waiting on her security clearance right now. She's dating a Navy boy in San Diego. So we were hanging out there. And then I wanted to come through for the week. It's my dog's birthday. Um, Let's give Gonzo an air horn. Yeah. He loves it. He's licking his nuts in the corner right now (laughs) if you can't see it. (laughs) He's a man of class. Uh, Saw you up at Woodward. I was. I was out there trying to get some early shredding. It's a little low tide, but it's fun out there. Is it just the two of you, you and your sister? I have an older sibling, too. They live. Uh, they were living in New York City for a little while, trying to figure out their next move now, but it's the three of us, yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah I heard you grew up in a military family. Yes. Both my parents were Navy pilots. Um, by the time I was born, uh, they were both out of the military. My dad was a commercial pilot, but that's how they met. They were both Navy pilots based in Pensacola, Florida. My mom actually ended up blowing her knee out while skiing, while in the Navy on like a leave, and then got honorably discharged as a disabled veteran um, because of it. So we don't have good memories of skiing in my family. It's hurt us a little bit, um, but we try to get past it. Now, I I picture military family, a lot of like self-discipline growing up. Was that a thing? Yeah. Uh, If you messed up, you did work to pay for it. So I got... um, let me think. When I was like 10 or 11, I got my first like iPod and I was terrible at holding on to things. I fucking, I lost everything. Right. And I ended up losing the iPod on like a little school or a trip of some sort. And I came back and my dad made me first. I had to run laps around the property for a while. And then I had to do yard work at $7 an hour for my whole spring break until I paid off the iPod that I had lost. And that was his version of 
punishment. Wow. <laughs> do you feel like you, from being like in a super disciplined family, do you feel like, I don't know, I feel like there's kind of two effects that can happen. Like you either like follow that or you like fully rebel against it. Where do you think you fall? Yeah, I ran away from it as hard as I could. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you could tell me anything. I'd be like, fuck you. I'm not going to go do that. I'm going to go turn around and do the opposite. Mm. So I was a troubled kid for sure. I got myself in a lot of trouble. I was drinking. I was eating Xanax and having fun. All because, you know, I was told not to. Mm-hmm. And that's the point. Because they were wrong about everything. And I'm 16 and I fucking know everything. <laughs> well, Sid, I, uh, I was listening to you on another podcast. and Or maybe I was reading an interview. I learned that you were a snowboard instructor as a kid. I was. So like I said, uh, skiing, we didn't have good family memory, or memories of like winter sports. So we weren't a big mountain family. I think... I snowboarded for the first time when I was like six or seven, and then we went like every other year, like once a year, and that was kind of our thing. Our family wasn't big on it. Mom obviously had to sit inside the whole time, so, but I thought it was so fucking cool. I was like, this is awesome. I would play SSX Tricky all the time, and I'd just sit there and like visualize myself punching people over as I was going down the hill and stuff, which obviously is not how you act on a snowboard. Um, but yeah, by the time I turned 14, one of my mom's good friends worked up at uh, the local resort. Local. It was about an hour, 20 minutes away in Pennsylvania. Um, What's it called? Whitetail. So we kind of jumped over some stuff, but we didn't talk about where you actually grew up and all that stuff. So I was born uh, about an hour outside of Sacramento in Fairfield, California, and lived for about a year in Vacaville, California. Sucks. It's where Sum 41 is from, though, which is its only redeeming quality. (laughs) Hell yeah. And then after that, we, I think my mom's mom got sick, so we moved out to, like, Northern Virginia. So very, about 45 minutes, kind of straight west of D.C. It was farm country. We got some property from the farmers that lived next door, right? And I spent my childhood growing up there, kind of out in the sticks. Mm. Um, these days it's much more built up. They expanded the metro out from like DC, uh, way closer. So it's like a way different town than I remember growing up in, but that was fun. Real country stuff. So then you grew up, uh, riding whitetail. Yes. It was a very small resort, uh, like literally just over the border to Pennsylvania. So you'd be driving through Maryland and about the last half a mile before you got to the resort was where you'd switch over into Pennsylvania. And it was 800 vertical feet, right? But it was the closest place to D.C. So that was like where a lot of foreign diplomats came. Um, And I ended up getting a job there to pay for a pass because like, like I said, skiing and snowboarding wasn't big in my family because my mom obviously was traumatized. Um, I'm just kidding. She always was a good sport about it, but like they just weren't big on it and it wasn't their thing to do. I mean, it's also Pennsylvania, like fair enough. Yeah. And an hour and a half. I was like, fuck no, we're not going to do that. Like that's a huge drive. You have two siblings. I have to drive them places. Mm -hmm. So when I was 14, I got a special work permit to get a job at the resort as, a, as an assistant instructor. And basically, I'd, like, sit in on, like, classes. And, and whenever there was, like, little kids that were kind of falling behind, that was, like, my job was to keep up with the little kids. But at, like, 14, you can't work more than, I think, 12 hours a week. Like, there's very strict rules on how much you're allowed to work. So we'd go and, like— 
work one day on Saturday and then go ride for Sunday and then just go hang out. And that was kind of like our little gig to get a pass at the resort because I couldn't afford that. And then my mom's friend, uh, she was the actual instructor up there. So that's how we got our little in. Um, and she drove us up every morning. Many memories of getting picked up at 6 in the morning by sweet Jennifer Reynolds, if we can get a shout-out. <laughs> shout-out to Jennifer. We love the Reynolds. Uh, and, yeah, she was great. She's, just, she's a little crazy. But we love that woman. So I'm curious because I've had to try to teach friends how to snowboard, and I actually realize I am useless. I have no— I can I, imagine you being I, like, just do it. I'm like, I couldn't actually articulate what to do. I'm like, you just— you just turn like I don't know how to explain it <laughs> like why are you doing like, it where do I put my weight and all these things uh what's the what's the key to teaching somebody how to snowboard I mean it's tough I always tried to make it like fun right so when you had to figure out you start at the beginning we were doing very basic beginner lessons so it's like okay let's figure out what foot goes in front and I'd always make a little joke about running up and like kicking something that you didn't like. Like, you know, the, oh, there's a little annoying crying baby on the ground. You're going to run up and kick it. What foot are you going to kick the baby with, right? And I would always get a little laugh out of people, and that's how you figured out. I figure if people kicked with their right foot, they're probably going to be regular. Their right foot's going to start in the back. If not, whatever, we'll get there later. You know, I don't fucking <laughs> care. But that was my little basic rule of thumb. And then I tried to really focus on, and it's been almost, it's been like 10 years. I don't really remember a lot of it, but like the twisting motions. So Portion to turn, you lift up on your front foot and you don't lift up on your back foot. And that's how you're going to get the heel in. And then same, ver- vice versa. You're going to push that knee down, that front knee down. And you're going to keep that back knee kind of straight. And that's how you're going to get onto your toe edge. Yep. And I don't know. Again, I was 15. I didn't know shit to begin with. I, I, I was not a good snowboarder, right? But So I was like, cool, I can get a job up there, and that's going to pay for my pass. And I just kind of BS my way through things. So, so you were, like, in love with it at that point. Oh, I loved it, okay. yeah. So what did the arc look like? Where did you go from being an instructor to, like, starting to get after it and busting some moves? It was late. The whole time I was, like, in high school and working there, I was—Pennsylvania, there's no scene, right? So I didn't know—I had no idea what the path was. I had no idea where to go anywhere. I don't even think I'd watch, like, a street video at that point, right? Because I just didn't know that that was a thing. Or, like, I'd see the big ones that were advertised. So I remember seeing, like, the B movie, and I was like, oh, cool, that's going to be, like, in movie theaters. It wasn't. And I was really confused by that because I didn't get what a snowboard movie was. And then my senior year of high school, I started dating this girl that was like three years older than I was. And I just didn't care anymore. I was drinking all the time. She lived on a winery and I'd like moved out of my parents' house and I was drinking wine with her, getting hammered. I had a... I would have a bottle of Sailor Jerry's in the back of my little Honda Civic, and I'd go get a smoothie from Tropical Smoothie every morning, and I'd drink half of it, fill the rest of it up with rum, and then that was my day-to-day basis. So at that point, I didn't fucking care, right? I was just like, I don't care. I'm going to let my life crash and burn, and we'll figure it out later. And then we both moved out to Bend when I, w- when I turned 18 and graduated high school um, and immediately broke up. I'm not kidding the first full day that we were living there, we broke up. <laughs> no. <laughs> I moved in, like, on September 10th, and, like, on the 11th, we broke up. <laughs> Amazing. So it was kind of just thrust out there, and I, was, I had no friends. I had to find a room on Craigslist in Bend, and 
I just started snowboarding all the time. I was like, well, if I'm fucking here, I might as well do this. Like, I don't have anything else to do. I don't want to work. Working sucks. And I don't have any friends. So I'm just going to go to the mountain and hang out there all the time. And it kind of snowballed from there. I made some friends. Snowboarding kept moving. And I... I don't know. Should I just tell, like, the whole rest of my life story in a really compact five-minute segment? <laughs> no, and then- I think this is a good—we uh, had a guest question from—before uh, we hit the guest question, we got a Patreon question, Silk. First question. This is from Alex Walter. Shout out to our Patreon members. Thank Shout you so much out, for the Patreon. support. They're asking, what was it like growing up snowboarding in Virginia? What was your home mountain, and did you ever ride Massanutten uh-huh. Resort? Never made it to Massanutten. I think that was a little more southern Virginia. Um, and we kind of being in like a no man's land near West, like near West Virginia and Maryland, we go a little more north. Like I said, into Pennsylvania. I said my local resort was Whitetail. At the time, there was, a, there was three resorts under that company's umbrella. And it was Whitetail, Liberty, and Roundtop. And you could go to the three of them with your pass. And it was... But they were all really small. We're talking 300 vert, 500 vert, 800 vert. Isn't like eight- Liberty a bristle boarding thing? No. So that's yes a- and no. That's the university. Okay. Lib- that's the Christian College in Southern Virginia down in Lynchburg. It's called Liberty University, and they have the carpet out there. And then four hours north was Liberty Resort in Pennsylvania, which is also really small. It's funny what you mentioned about because I'm from Philadelphia area and we're the same age. And I also like got really into snowboarding a little bit later. But when I started getting into it, like I didn't know anything either. I didn't even know there was like a scene until I went to High Cascade. So I would like I mean, I didn't know what Transworld was, what snowboarder was like. I would try to look up videos on like Netflix and it was like the art of flight and like never not like all those like big high production videos and it was just like then I went to High Cascade and I was like oh there's like other people who like to do this and because like Instagram wasn't really a thing at all back then no it's just interesting how like far removed you are but then you can become so like enthralled in it yeah and like and it's because it's because snowboarding is such a small insular thing like you're right it's so hard to actually find your way to where snowboarding is happening <coughs> sorry um, and you just don't get it. Yeah, I, I, I would do the same. I went on Netflix and I saw Art of Flight was there and I was like, cool. And yeah. like I said, I I literally looked at movie theater times for movies and I was like, why isn't it like playing in any theaters? Like it said it was coming to a theater, but I didn't understand the whole concept of like, yeah, they do a couple of premieres and then it ends up on DVD. But you're in no man's land, you know. Eastern Pennsylvania is not the most in touch. Mm-mm. And you probably don't have a good core snowboard shop, which is where you kind of, as a kid, yeah, that's where Buckman's. I learned about everything, you know? Yeah, I didn't. I There was a shop, I think, uh, in like Frederick or Baltimore in Maryland that was like an hour or two away that would have been the closest, and I never went there. Yeah. Never stepped foot in there, didn't really understand any of it. Yeah, ours was Buckman's, but it was like a ski and snowboard shop, and I worked there. And then I think, like, having my brother be really into it, he would, like, be obsessed with Tech 9 and all yeah. those videos. So I was like, okay, cool. Like, I didn't know what was cool before, but, like, my brother's cool, and he thinks this is cool, so, like, this is cool. But, like, were your siblings into snowboarding and stuff as well? No. Just fully, like, you just found still not. it and ran away. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm still that's the only cool. one in my family that's ever really given a shit about it. Yeah. And I think, I think my mom would have more if she didn't have that traumatizing blow her knee out in the Navy. Mm -hmm. Because that was her thing. She was like, she was hyped. And then before she ever got deployed, she was done. 
And like, that's gotta be soul crushing. I can't mm-hmm. really imagine that. Yeah. I think it's an interesting topic though, talking about taking somebody like yourself, that's a, a person that snowboards and then, you know, how do you get them to essentially identify as like a snowboarder? That's like, Oh, I know the scene. I know the characters. I know the people. I know the videos. And I think that that's like our biggest hurdle as snowboarding as a whole is like, how do we take the people that snowboard two or three times a year and get them hooked like we are, you know? And, and it's, it's just interesting because I think that's how we, you know, grow the the culture, so to speak, of yeah. snowboarding. And I think that's where everyone loves to hate on social media, but that's where it's helpful. Ooh, it's for point. the people like... Like, because we didn't see that. Like you said, there was nothing on Instagram. I didn't understand what it was. And I didn't have that direct on my phone. There's the content of what snowboarding is. Like, I didn't understand it at all. And I didn't know where to find the movies because I didn't have a shop. You couldn't buy a movie on the internet or anything. Mm -hmm. So I do, obviously, social media is addicting. It's bad for you, blah, blah, blah. But it's connected us so much more. And I think without that, I, there's so many people that wouldn't have gotten into snowboarding. Mm-hmm. Like, Good point. Yeah. Good point. Well, we happen to have a guest question from Max Warbington in regards to uh, the move to Bend that I think could be good. Let's hit that. 69. What's going on, Bomb Hole? Max Warbington here. Super, super psyched. You got Nora, fellow Trey Squad alumni in the booth. Um, Nora's an absolute legend. I mean, everybody knows that you fucking shred hard and send it. Um... And there's nowhere that that gets displayed better than in a Shorts and Shades video. So just get ready. Public service announcement. Watch out for Nora, Shorts and Shades. Um, my question's kind of short and sweet, I guess. Like, what's up with Mount Bachelor? Why, why Bend? Um, you're kind of like a jibber. I would, don't want to throw you in a box, but you definitely hold it down for the jib-heavy uh, shredders. So just props to that, being from Bend, and I don't know, why do you love it so much? And I'd just like to say thank you for holding it down so hard for so long. Uh, peace, love, Trey Squad. Thanks, Max. I love how we had to throw in his little plug there for Shorts and Shades in the middle of it, too. <laughs> Coming soon, December 16th, which is probably before you guys are watching this, our premiere in Bend, Oregon, and the rest of it I don't know about. Um, but Bend was funny. So, like I said, when I was my senior year of high school, I was dating this girl, and we were both kind of looking at, like, we thought snowboarding was cool. I mean, we were both kind of a mess, so we weren't, like, looking to find the best place to get good. But I remember distinctly, uh, it was, like, 2014, Max put out a, a money edit, which I still watch to this day. I think it was called GNU Money. That one will be playing right here on the side of the TV as I'm talking about this. And then Ben Ferg put out a video where he was in the park and he didn't touch a single rail. And he carved through the whole thing. And it, I thought that was cool. I was like, fuck yeah, that's dope. And I thought it was so cool how Ben was like... I was kind of looking at the weather. I thought Portland was cool, but I was like, eh, it rains over there a lot. And Bend is this perfect little bubble where you're on the east side of the mountains, 300 days of sunshine all year. You're just under two hours to hood. So you can go snowboarding any day of the whole year up through September, October. And I thought that was really cool. Being from Virginia and riding in Pennsylvania, my first season— 
uh, when I was 14, my first season as a little junior instructor, started December 30th and ended February 14th. Yeah. It was a six weeks. And I, so the thought of, oh my God, you can snowboard from November till the end of September? I was like, no, you can't. I don't believe you. And I'm going to go do it for myself. So that's what really drew me to Bend and like Mount Bachelor. I was just like, that's fucking dope. And I thought, Max and Ben and everyone was so cool and I wanted to go make friends with all of them and we could all go snowboard together and stuff. And then I got sucked in and I still can't seem to leave. I say that with so much love. Like I love Ben, right? But every time I leave, I'm like, what well, dude, this <sighs> there's always something that wherever I go is missing. It's missing whatever that thing was that was just sitting there in Bend. And while it's so granola and, like, so crunchy and expensive these days, it's, I, I, even last year I left. I was like, I'm going to Mexico, and I'm never fucking coming back. And then I ended up right <laughs> back, like, three months later, and I'm still living there. So so you didn't necessarily come with, like, aspirations of being like, I'm going to be a pro snowboarder. I'm going to no. get really good. You were just like, what the fuck else am I doing? Not in the slightest. No, I was, I was a mess. I, mean, I was drinking all the time. I started smoking heroin a little bit when I was in high school. And then I was like, I'm going to move away from this because that'll change me as a person. Obviously, it didn't. Like, I mean, you, you move wherever you are. You're the same person at the end of the day. Um, and... Then I lost everything. Then I had, I mean, 18, right? So all I had was my girlfriend. I was, that was my life. So once I was out there alone, I was like, fuck, I'm just going to go fucking somewhere all the time. I don't know. I don't know what else I'm going to do. And then I think a year or so after that, uh, Danielle, Jib girl, who deserves a very big shout out. <laughs> Too hard. Yeah. Danielle hit me up um, and asked if I wanted to come to Tahoe and hang out with her. And that was like, that was it. I was like, oh, wait someone's paying attention and like I could go hang out with them and then we could do stuff. Like I never thought that that was a thing. It was never real. It was always a, those people were there and I was here in my lane. And so that I think was the very first, when I really thought it could be possible was when Danielle hit me up. And were you getting any free product at that point or were you just kind of still buying gear? What was the deal? You know, that first year, no. What I, video was it? Which, which, which too hard? There was no video at that point. Okay, so, oh, um, They had their videos. Hard. No, they, they were putting out their videos, but, like, we... This was, like, a Boreal. I just went and rode park with her. So there was no video part about it. Um, what was the other question? Uh, were you getting free gear? Oh, I was getting snowboards from a local Bend company. It was called Snowplanks. Shout out. <laughs> Will Dennis actually put me on them. We love Will. Um... And that was, that was sick, right? I was like, yo, no way I can I get a fucking snowboard and I don't have to pay for it. And I love them to death, but they were very early on in their years. And they, those things rode like an old Cadillac. Really nice, but all fiberglass. And the second you hit a tree, it would just shatter into a million pieces. <laughs> and like, you would just need a new snowboard at the end of the point. Like I would literally clip on the bottom of a rail, it would fucking explode. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I need a different board then. So I was getting those, running through all of them, and as like a small little company that was just trying to start out, I know I was a, a big burden on them. So, but I love them forever. I love James, uh, Will, Snowplanks. Like, they definitely got my foot in the door, and that was that was huge to me. So you got sparked that first year. Now I want to go back to Ben for a second here because it's interesting when I think about Ben. 
we always talk about like Curtis and Austin and Jake Price and Powder Powder Riders. Mm-hmm. Do you feel neglected? You know, being with Max and Schubert as kind of the 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 gibbers of bend that don't get the shine. I don't know if Spencer will enjoy being thrown in there. I think he likes to pretend he's not from Bend most of the time. <laughs> yeah, he never talks about it. No, no, no. You have to drag it out of him. <laughs> he's trying to hide from his past. <laughs> yeah. Bad I, move. I think so. I don't I don't feel neglected by any means. No. Cuz I think there's such a cool local scene there where like uh, they pay attention, and it's much more attainable than it is here, right? The, the, there's something about the parking lot, the way it's all set up, that you're like you're right next to those people, the Maxes, the Gusses of the towns, um, the Drew Brownrig, Jared, all of them. Yeah, very well deserved. And I don't think so, no. I don't think I feel un, undeserved or what's the word? So you can you can jib and live in Bend. Oh, big time, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Except for all of those rails have been beaten down by like Jonah Owen in 2003. Yep. Yeah. He came in, he rode, and then he left. He's like, I don't fucking care. <laughs> Jonah Owen, if you ever listen to these, he's not. Um, he's still on tactics. If he ever wants a box, <laughs> we'd love to give you something. But he's off fly fishing somewhere. Mm. Nobody's Classic. heard from him in years. Classic snowboarding to fly fishing. Move. Literally, yeah. I'm going to go disappear, and I'm going to go <laughs> catch fish. All right, let's talk headwear. We're going to talk about autumn headwear. Now, I'm actually wearing the autumn bombhole beanie. Everything they make is high quality, great beanies. It doesn't sog out on you like a lot of low-quality beanies. And at autumn, they have all different styles of beanies, from the deep, resi, surplus fit to the shorty fit which is kind of shallow. You might catch uh, Silk D running the shorty fit, kind of a kind of a Team Zizu vibe. They also got the simple fit for right in between, and they got riders with impeccable style. They got Sam Taxwood, Spencer Schubert, Danimals. You know Danimals' style is just out of hand, and that's Autumn's deal. Their motto is Style Matters. Now, it's a great company. It's snowboarder-owned by Brad Allband, and if you're interested in supporting a great company with some great products need a new beanie, check out autumnheadwear.com and use promo code BOMBHOLE for 20% off your order. Let's talk bindings, and we're going to talk union bindings. I ride them. I love them. I trust them. It's the binding I always wanted when I rode for other companies. I'd see my boy Scott Stevens out there with the lightning fast ratchets, and I just love the way they look. And now that I ride them, I can confirm they are phenomenal. They've had the force in the line for almost 20 years. It's trusted by more professional snowboarders than any other binding on the market. It's designed, engineered, and tested in Italy. It's backed by a lifetime warranty on the base place and heel cups. And it's always available at unionbindingcompany.com or your local retailer. So whether it's the buttery smooth ratchets or the clean design, you can't go wrong with the union forces. That's what I run. So I want to hear about kind of the arc of your career here. So you, you filmed with Dangy a little bit, and then next thing you know, like, where'd you go from there? So that, let me think. That was, that would have been 2016, 2017-ish, like, eh. And I remember there was a, there was an event that uh, was going on at Timberline 
where they were doing these, like, rail jams, Timberland and Mount Hood, and the winner of, like, all three got a free summer pass. And the only people that showed up to them were Govy locals. So, like, they already worked up there. They already had their stuff. And so by the end of three rail jams, I got a free summer pass out of it because I was the only one that actually needed it. Like, everyone else was like, cool, I won, but I fucking, I work up here. I already have my pass. It doesn't matter. Wow. So that summer I got to, like, go on hill and, like, be around everyone for the summer, which is, like, so cool just getting to be on Timberline with everybody and like have a pass. I don't have to pay 120 bucks or go hike around and get yelled at for fucking hiking up the wrong side of the mile. Um, and at the end of that summer, like literally, I think closing weekend, uh, I was just cruising. This is a really funny story. I was just like riding through the park and I was trying to do this trick on, like, whatever, this flat rail, kink to the second flat rail. It was just, like, a silly little board slide switch up, right? And one of them I just fucking laced. And I was like, cool, and I look uphill at my friend, and she was like, that was sick. And I look over, and Cam Weed, Cam Weed, not sure how you say his name, but the Board Over Brains filmer was sitting in the rocks, and he filmed it. And he was like, yo, that was fucking sick. I have no idea how I caught it but I got it. And he's like, do you want to film for the rest of closing weekend? He's like, we're just going to be chilling and you should pull up. So I did. I filmed with them for a little bit for that, like their little closing edit. And then that came out and I got an invite to hot dogs. And that was like, oh, bang, they saw that. I get to go do that. I got to go to hot dogs. And then Danielle asked that winter if I wanted to come out and actually film, like go on my first street trip. And so it was very... Literally, like, just luck. I was just, Cam was sitting there. I had no intention of filming anything of this video. And, like, that came out. And I, this is kind of a jumping. I know you asked, like, your little turning point. But, like, that is, I think, what my turning point was. Because I didn't care beforehand. I was just, like, I was going to be the sickest local you've ever seen. (laughs) I was going to crush beers in the parking lot. And I was also going to be dope. And... That was when I was like, wait a second, maybe I could actually like put my head down and and maybe get a little bit somewhere somewhere from this. Cool, you got the spark. Yeah. And it was the switch board or the board slide switch up. Yeah, that'll be playing on the side right here as we're talking about it. Um, and that was like, that was crazy. Amazing. So how was that first year filming with Dangy? Hard, very hard. No pun intended. Uh, too hard for me. Um, I got. First trip, I get like I got like two or three clips, and then I slipped off of this tiny little down rail, slapped my face, my cheek into the side of one of the support beams, and bit all the way down through my lip, and woke up on the ride to the hospital, like <laughs> nightmare. And so I'm like in the car ride to the hospital with uh, Kaylee Hendricks, and I'm. It's funny because uh, they were driving the same car that I have. So I'm, like, waking up in the car, and I'm, like, this is my car. I'm, like, I, this is, I don't know who these people are, but I'm in my own car. I was not in my own car, um, and I'm safe right now, and that's all. And then I, like, slowly pick the pieces back together. But it was a nightmare. Um, I've still got this big, like, bump on the side of my lip. Anytime I smile, you can kind of see it pop up. Um, and so I went home after that. I licked my wounds, and I cried, and I tried to get over it. And then I went back out for a second trip, and that was a little more productive. We were in Minnesota both these times. We went to Duluth, 
Like we spent some time in the Twin Cities, but I think almost all of it was in Duluth that first year. And that was just like so cool. I was like, this is the shit. We're just like in the middle of nowhere. It's cold and we're hanging out in the parking lots. And like we're just the camaraderie you get. I mean, this has been said a million times, but it, you feel so like you guys can take over the world at that point. It's awesome. So is this like the first time you're filming in the streets and you were riding park previous to that? Yeah. Yeah. I'd never really. That's a, that's a lie. We, I, we'd gone to when I was like 15 or 16, we hit exactly one street spot in my local town when it got snow. So I'd tried on like this little flat rail, but that was my first actual trip trip, like out there for two weeks, focusing, putting your head down and doing the work. How do you feel like with that difference? It was hard, but it was really fun. And, like, we had fun at those times. It, you made sure to have a lot of fun at the end of the day. Were you still hammering beers and yes. partying? Yeah. But I was still young, and I was having a hard—that first year, actually, coming—very first trip in the Minneapolis airport, um, I'd lost my real ID, and— you can get through TSA without your ID. You just need, like, a couple extra pieces of, of identification, like pill bottles or, like, a letter with your address on it. And But they, like, swipe through your bag, right? So they do a little gunpowder swipe just to make sure you didn't have whatever in the fucking bag beforehand. They open up my little bag. I was super dope riding with one of those little fanny packs on my shoulder things at the time. And I had my fake ID right at the top of it. <laughs> and they open it. And they're like, oh, I thought you said you didn't have your ID. I was like, no, no, I don't, I don't. And then I turn around and I'm like, oh, I, I don't know how to tell you guys this, but the birthday on that is wrong. You know? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and they were like, uh, okay, we still have to call the cops. Like, sorry. So they call the cops over and the cop shows up thinking that I tried to get through TSA with a fake ID. <laughs> so he comes at me hard and he's like, do you have any idea what you're doing? He's like, you're, how old are you? You're 19. He's like, what the fuck are you doing right now? And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We, we got to talk about this. I was like, I swear I did not try to use that to get through security. I forgot it was in the bottom of my bag, and I just messed up. And he goes, all right, I'll be right back. And he goes over, and he talks to the people, and he gets the story. And he's like, okay, I came at you a little hard there. He's like, sorry about that. You still can't go through a federal checkpoint having a fake ID on you. He's like, that's still illegal. Like, I, I get that you didn't try to use it, but— You're like, come on. I know. I was like, I'm trying to have fun. And then so he said—he took my address down. He was like, I'm going to write you a ticket. I'm going to put it in the mail. Never did. Never sent anything about it. Um, but that was the my fourth fake ID that I lost uh, was leaving that trip. Did you make it through security? Yes, eventually. Nice. Amazing. Yeah, I like that. Um, okay, so first year, what which, uh Too Hard was that? That would have been the last one. It was Too Hard 7. Would have been the last video. And also the first year of The Uninvited. So everything was kind of... The ball was rolling that year. And I think The Uninvited actually is what got my foot in the door. Because... And, <sighs> Not everyone gets along with each other in snowboarding, right? And so when some people went over here to do this, there was openings. And so, like, Alexis Roland and myself and Katie Close and Schmeg, Savannah actually were, like, all on that first trip to Duluth. And that was, like, a bunch of new faces that you see way more now. But I think that was kind of our chance, was having the uninvited happen. And all of them were filming for that, the Marias and all them. And we got a chance to kind of get our foot in the door. 
So, yeah, that was Too Hard 7. That was the very last video. Dude, I, I used to think Kaylee Hendricks was the shit. She was, like, she my is. favorite. She is the when shit. When I was watching those videos. I want to yeah. back that up. And then I will say, I know this is one of the questions on the, the dice or whatever. My fifth fake ID <laughs> was Kaylee Hendricks. Nice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Even though she's about eight inches shorter than I am mm-hmm. and was, like, bleached blonde hair, very skit. Like, uh, that thing worked until I turned 21. And then I passed that along to another girl. And, yes, Kaylee Hendricks has gotten in, me into a lot of bars. Amazing. I had a fake ID and someone was like 5'11 and I'm like 5'4. Yeah. <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> Literally. Worked for like a year. I know. No, that was the same with her. I'm like 5'5, five, 5'6 five, five, and I think she's, like, uh, you know, I don't want to shade her. I'm like 4'10. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Kaylee. Yeah. <laughs> I had Bodie Merrill's fake ID because he was, or his real ID, but it was said Bodie and the cops came to this party one time <laughs> and the cops are like, is it, because his middle name's Reed. He's like, is it Reed? Bodie Merrill and then one of our buddies Maddie Albert goes to the cop just like drunk he's like your name's Bodie to me and I'm like you fucking idiot and then uh, the cop looks at me and goes what do they normally call you and I just like shit face I was like the Bode man <laughs> and he's like that checks out cool. back to writing down his stuff but yeah continue sorry to, the to, Bode man the Bode man yeah um, I don't remember where I was going with that well we, we went there I, I think it would be good to talk slams though because you mentioned how you bit your cheek and I think this is a fun wormhole to go down because I have a theory that all the greats get fucking bodied like so I don't think you know sometimes like maybe if I talk to Jess or something she's like I don't, well, you know, I, like people get maybe self-conscious about slamming, but I, I actually view slamming as a good thing because you're fucking going for it. Like, Luif slams. Bodie slams. Like, my favorite snowboarders when I film with them get absolutely annihilated. And I've seen some clips of you slamming. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, uh, I guess let's maybe go through uh, some some roster of injuries would be interesting. Um. Well, we'll start at the beginning. I broke my collarbone coming out of the womb. Um, no I must have fucked something up there. I don't know what had happened. But, yes, that was my first collarbone break. Second collarbone break, I was trying to jump down the stairs two at a time in my house, and I fell down them at, like, three years old. Um, <laughs> are, are these the kind of slams you're thinking yeah, of? Yeah, keep them okay, going. Cool, let's, cool. let's just run through it. When I was uh, right around four or five, like— so I'm in preschool, right? Um, it's the end of preschool. I My birthday's in June, so it was right around there. I don't know if I'd actually turned five yet. Um, and I'm out in the front yard riding on the tractor with my father. And we're, like, cutting down hay. He's got a combine on the back. Um, bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. I fall off the tractor. Back wheels of this tractor are filled with sand. They weigh about 1,200 pounds, right? And I'm sitting there, and the back... Tire, back left tire, just goes directly over top of my little toddler stomach. We had a helicopter come land in the front yard. My dad tried to drive me to Baltimore Children's Hospital and then was like, it's going to take too long. I got to go back. And so we called a a helicopter, landed in our front yard, and it flew me out to Baltimore Children's Hospital. And there wasn't a scratch on my body. And I, obviously when you're this young, you think your memories are, like, hard-coded in there, right? You know, you talk to people about whatever, the Bernstein Bears, and they're like, no, I'm so sure it was an A or an E or whatever. And you're like, dude, you were five. You don't fucking remember. I don't want to hear about that. <laughs> but I swear, and I said this even getting up from when that happened, 
I saw, I thought my dad had jumped off the tractor, right? Because as I fell, I looked up and I saw a silhouette, four limbs, like arms and legs and a torso coming down on top of me. And I closed my eyes hard and then suddenly the tractor wheel was off to the side of me and we'd stopped right before the combine ran me over. And my dad never jumped off that tractor. He was standing on there the whole time and just watched it go over my stomach and then there wasn't a fucking mark on my body. And I really, I really struggled with that for a long time. I really struggled with like, I should have popped like a tube of toothpaste. And I just didn't. And then it was like, what am I doing with my life if I'm just fucking snowboarding after like, I was clearly given this second chance. So that was the most existential of my bails so far. Um, the rest how were a little you, let's, easier let's to stay, deal with. Let's just stay on that for a second. Yeah. How do you interpret that experience? I, last, about a year or two ago, I really, it really caught up to me. And when we were filming Hot Cocoa, I was a mess. I was using all the time. I was drunk all the time. And like that was just in my head. I was just like, I'm not fucking doing anything, right? I'm not giving anything back to the world. I'm just taking and taking and taking. And then... I don't know. I went into a, we went into this church in Helsinki and I just cried. I broke down and I was just crying in there. And I haven't been religious in a long time, at least as of what we think as religion, as of Christianity, Catholicism, whatever. I've always known that there was something, at least through my own brain, because I saw it. I saw it that day. And I... I've just never been able to find my connection with that. And so like two years ago, I really broke down. I was like, I don't, I don't, I'm just, I'm doing nothing for the world. I mean, there wasn't like a distinct flip getting, switch getting flipped. But like that year, then in Helsinki, we came back um, and I went straight to rehab, right? I came back into Portland. My friend Riley, love her to death, Riley Elliott. Can we give her a big air horn? She basically was like, this is it. This is it. You go home, you can never fucking talk to me again, or you go get your shit together. She's like, I know you're sick of this. I was crying. I was a mess. But I'm still in the emotions phase of it, you know, of the, I just want to be upset that my life sucks. And, and then, and that was, I think, the turning point of like, you know what? I'm not just going to take, I want, I want, I think the best thing we can all do in this world is, is just be our best selves, right? Like your your best, your most present and authentic self you can be. There's nothing else we can do as people. Like you can try, but if we would all work on that and being our best self, like that's that's all you can give to the world. And I really realized that. I was like, it's like, I don't have to run a charity. I don't, I mean, obviously those people are great. We love them, right? But the best thing I can do to the world 100%. is just- give my best self, yep. be there, be present. And, and I won't feel guilt because I'm actually putting my energy into the people around me and like fostering those relationships. So like I said, it wasn't like, there wasn't some big switch. It was just realizing like, holy shit, like that's it. That's our, that's our role. I've said it four times, but the best thing you can do is just- Can, can we stay on that? Yeah. I, I love that. First of all, one thing I think is really fascinating is, you know, I drove Riley from detox to rehab. Bless her soul. And, uh, it's, it's, and she's doing amazing now, but it's interesting. And then Riley 
took you to yep. rehab, and it's and it's interesting how the world has those yep these interesting um, way of evolving. Yeah, and so I think that going back, you know, we see in our society a lot of pointing at what's wrong pointing at what's wrong. Here's the issue. This politician is the issue. This thing is the issue. And, and I think that that almost just is like a, it's just generates more negative energy. But like, you know, Russell said it on the show. He wants is like, what's the best way to deal with this, you know, societal issues happening. He's like, well, if you're a good person and you're a good person and you're a good person and we're all good people, that's kind of the solution is like doing what's right for in this world. And, and I love that. You yeah. Know? Especially, like, on this small scale as humans, that is the best we can do. Because, oh, man, me and Madison, actually, to go back a little bit, you're talking about you dropped Riley at rehab. Madison actually picked me up from rehab. I went, I came down here. I was in North Ogden um, at Brighton Recovery Center. Big air horn for them. And the circle continues. Yeah, Madison was the one that came, picked me up. She's sitting over there in the booth. She hasn't said anything in a long time, but she's still in here. Hey, Mads. Hey, guys, I still exist. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to say, um, Nora, I like, uh, I really appreciate your perspective on that because I've just noticed, like, following you on social media, too, the way that you use your social media. And a lot of people use it as, like, a mask to show the world who they want to be. But yours is just, like, an outlet to sh- – like, you're very candid on there. It's an outlet to show who you actually are. Sure. And I think that that's really impactful for a lot of people. I, I agree. And – I fell. I, I don't want to think that like everyone needs to do that, right? Because I fell into that same trap too. You, especially like beginning in snowboarding, you're like, this is how I I market myself, and I have to market myself as cool and likable. Like, you don't think, yo, let me post every insane thing that happens to me, and then let everybody else judge me about it. Like when you're young, so it was really hard getting there. I think, um, but it is like. You connect with people so much more when you just share every little ugly thing that happens in your life and you're just like, I don't know. What do you guys think about it? And I really enjoy it. I think I've like, I mean, it's corny making friends on the internet, but I think I've made like a lot more connections through that rather than just going on a street trip, taking random pictures of the sky and plants and then posting them all on the same day that I fly out and not tagging where it is. Be like MRT. Yeah, so many people do that, and I'm like, guys, random pot in the corner. Yeah, and like, there's nothing wrong with that, right? You're just you're doing what you see that works, and that's how we all work as humans. You see what works, and then you you work off of that, right? I don't know where I'm going with this, but (laughs) yeah, I I love I love where we're at with this stuff right now. Uh, I think it's super interesting. I think for you to get to that point of being able to share who you authentically are, you have to be comfortable in your own skin. And it takes a long time to get there. When you're insecure, you're, you know, if you don't post anything vulnerable, you can't be judged. Exactly. But if you're, if you're comfortable in your own skin, then you're like, this is who I am. Fucking take it or leave it. Right. But like, that's a hard place to get to. It takes a lot of, you got to have life kind of kick you in the fucking, just, just kick you and kick you and kick you until you fucking just, you know, or just beat the fuck down. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to take a break here. And like, I got to make a change and I got to figure it out. And, and then all of a sudden you're like fucking, you go, life shows you all these things. And then you come out on the other side of it and you're like, I'm comfortable with who I am. Right. So, I mean, mine definitely didn't. 
it wasn't like, wow, I feel really comfortable with myself. I'm going to share the bad things. It was not like that at all, right? Yeah. So to kind of go through the storyline, I'm, I'm, I'm in rehab April 2022. I'm going to get out. Around May 5th. And this May is the first time you've ever tried to get sober? Yeah. I mean, when I was young, I was convinced that I could stop smoking heroin by drinking and eating Xanax all mm. the time. So the first time I actually put my foot down and went and got help for it. Of course, you try so many times and you make up all these justifications of like, well, I'll start, I'll only get high at night and then I'll only drink after this or I'll only drink beer or I'll only fucking smoke heroin and that's how it's going to, then I'll be able to control it and that's how it's going to work. But that doesn't work. I know it's been said a million times. It doesn't fucking work. And once you get there, once you get past that emotions feeling or like the emotions oriented and you're like solutions oriented that's where the world comes for you and shows you like hey we've got you right like we're here for you at your fucking lowest as long as you want to work on it like we don't care so I got out of rehab and had let's see that was like a Saturday or Sunday I had the week at Mount Bachelor got to hang out with some friends and then it's tits was the week after that right Friday, about two weeks after I got out of rehab, I think to the day, was when I broke my back. And I, when I hit the ground, it, I couldn't move, right? My legs could not move in the slightest. And I don't know if anyone has ever been in like a, a bad car crash where you can see the book closing on your life. And you're like, oh, that's it. Like, it's closed now. Nothing I can do to get past that. And that's what it was. It was like, that's the last thing you're ever going to do on your two legs. Way to go, you fucking dumbass. And that was terrifying. I have no idea how people who are actually in wheelchairs for the rest of their life can put on a smile in the morning. Because, like, that's so traumatizing to literally be stuck sitting down for the rest of your life. And I'm so lucky. I, I, I mean, it sounds shitty. I'm not, like, going, like, oh, those poor people, like, pity things. But, like, it's it's awful. It's crazy. And, like, it gave me such an admiration for those people that, like, Trevor Kennison, that can come in and put on a smile and just, like, go for it every day. Like, that's fucking so deserved. But that's insane. But I guess coming around roundabout to posting on the Internet, it was it was that day. And I was in the hospital Marissa Kroczak, we're just firing off the air horns right now. Uh, Marissa drove down to the hospital with me, and I was a mess. And I was like, this is it. My fucking life is over. And I pulled out my phone, and I posted a big old rant about just all of it. And it was just like, I'm done. I don't have anything in my life. I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. This just happened to me, and I want to die, everybody. And, like, the love... And reception that I got from that was insane. Like so much more personal, so many more people coming out of the woodwork that I've never, ever, ever talked to showing up for me, saying they were there for me. They love me. Like anything I need, like they're there. And then people would come by. And like it was that day. I mean, you can say it a million times, right? But like... Your weaknesses make people like you so much more than your strengths. Like, you can be perfect at everything and people will just go like, okay. okay. Like, if you actually show that vulnerable side, like, 
people are drawn to that. People are drawn to human beings. Like, people have empathy. And... Oh, God. Okay, we just had a brief interruption. Gonzo uh, was an absolute uh, wrecking ball in the studio, knocked over the camera. That was beautiful. He has an apology to make, actually, and he would like to say something. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. I brought a big old puppy into the studio. He's one year and three days old, um, and he fucked up the camera. Sorry. We're back. It's perfect. So going back to vulnerability being your biggest strength, I think that's that's really important, and I think that's something that in treatment and in AA and in recovery, I think you realize really quickly because you're sitting in a room full of people. I mean, I, I'll share my experience. I remember being in there being like, oh, I'm the only person with this problem with drinking. I'm the only person thinking these things. I'm the only person that feels this way. And then you're like, oh, wait a second. The guy next to me, the girl right here, like everybody's got the same fucking problems as me. Yep. Holy shit, this is really comforting to talk about. Yeah. And that's what's so special about going to meetings. Like uh, it gets such a bad rap. People, normal straight edge people are like, oh, hey, meetings like culty shit. But like that feeling of like being in a room surrounded by people you finally get along with, like that one thing that always made you the shit bag, that always made your friends angry at you, like all these things, that's where you finally bond over like, yeah, I was a fucking piece of shit. Have you ever seen that? I think you should leave sketch where he's just like, yeah, I used to be a piece of shit, dude. That's a classic. That's what I've always It's on the screen of. right now. Yeah. <laughs> of course he cries when I hold him. <laughs> it's not a big deal. That's not a big deal. I guess he just doesn't like me. No, no, he's just fussy. Nah, probably just doesn't like me because I used to be a piece of shit. It's like always what I'm thinking of when I'm in there. It's like, yeah, I was a fucking piece of shit once, too. But, uh, yeah, like that's, wh- that's where you, you bond with people. And, like, I mean, it's kind of corny to say that, it, like, vulnerability is your biggest strength. But, like, it's true. Like, people want people. Another thing, talking about meetings, too, is thinking about a group full of sober people, right? It's like they're all fucking fun. They're all people that love to get absolutely shithoused and party, but they had the fucking courage to take a little bit of introspection and be like, get miserable enough to make a change. And then there's still fun, loving people in there. They're ma- everybody's maniacs. The story's right. insane. Everybody's like good time, but they're, they're just real and raw and authentic. And, and the inventory that they take on themselves and you, you sit in there, you listen, ah, fuck, I've done that too. Yep. Literally. I've been, been uh, yep. I like, you know, there's like little lessons in there where you're like, oh yeah, I've been really selfish. Yep. Okay. That's good. And like a little bit of introspection is good for anybody. Yeah. You know, Silk's uh, in recovery as well. I have heard that. Yep. Shout out. Yep. How long Thank have you been, you. Silk? Um, I don't keep track to the day, but about a year, three months. Oh yeah, gangster. Yeah, that's like an that. air horn. Yeah, it's good. Yep. An air horn. Yeah, I just did seven years uh, in Halloween. Yes. Yeah. Love that for you. Yeah. But I think it would be cool. I think for our listeners, it's like, you know, talking about, you know, you got opioid and Xanax addictions, right? And so, like, the the point at which the breaking point of, like, how did how did it feel and how, where did you get to to where you really, like, kind of in-depth description would love to hear you, like, that moment where you're like, I need to make a fucking change. I mean, that moment happened like 10 times. You know how that goes. Yeah. You get there a million fucking times and then you get over it. Or maybe you get through detox and then you're like, yeah, I'm good now. I'll go back. It's fine. Yeah. I I was there so many times. And I think, so we're in Finland, right? I've been 
there during the hot cocoa year. I'd been in Europe for like we gone to Iceland first. So I'm kind of jumping around. We went to Iceland and I was like this is it. I was like I'm going to stay in Europe until I'm like 30 days sober. I'm like I'm going to fucking get it. And I'm a, I'm a wreck. The first 10 days were in Iceland, of course. I'm going through withdrawals. I'm shaking. I'm puking. I'm shitting myself over in the corner. And I'm just useless to the group. And I hang out there. I make it through those, like, kind of two weeks. But while I was in Iceland, I took a fall. And I, I had a screw from an old collarbone surgery that got knocked loose. And it was... Uh, we couldn't find it, but it was pointing, like, up into my neck from my collarbone for a while, and it was killing me. Like, my neck was on fire. It wouldn't show up on any x-rays. We went to the hospital in Iceland. They gave me a bunch of pain meds, and that kind of set me off a little bit. Obviously, I did, like, fucking 20 of them, and I was still sick. I'm still shaking and shitting myself. And so after that trip, I was like... I'm staying. I was like, I'm not going home. I was like, I'm going to stay fucking right here. I went to Austria for a little bit, um, and I was convinced that that's how I was going to, you know. Did the group you were with know you were withdrawing? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I didn't tell them, but yes. they knew. At the, Not at the time. I didn't tell them. I waited a little bit later till uh, I'd run through all the pain meds. I made Ilva take the rest of them. And I was like, I have a problem. Like I, and I'm really sorry. I'm being really fuck, fucking drag on you guys. Like, I'm not showing up. And I'm sorry. I, I don't know what to do. And then everyone got COVID like a day or two after that conversation, right? So trip was over. And that's when I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay in Austria. I'm going to become a different person because I'm in a different place. And like we said earlier, that doesn't work. You're the same person no matter where in the world you are. So, of course, I'm in Austria. I'm fucking drinking 12 beers every night. I'm thinking I'm getting healthy, right, by just getting shit-housed every night. And then we go to Finland. And I made it 30 days without smoking any heroin, right? And then right at the end of the trip, on that 30th day, we'd gotten up really early. We'd gotten kicked out of this hockey rink spot this roof that I was hitting at like four in the morning and that night it was like the last two nights of the trip I was just like I don't fucking care anymore and so I go on tinder I'm just swipe 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 until somebody answered me and I'm like going google translate and in the grocery store everyone left the grocery store and I'm still in the grocery store using the wi-fi trying to find a fucking plug on tinder and I got one I went and bought heroin I came back to the house and just f- well, fucked off, right? I was passed out in the middle of the house. Ilva had to take my boots off. And the next few days, I was, I was not there. Poor Grace had just shown up. Maria had just gone home because she'd blown out her knee. And I just wasn't present for anybody. I was fucking... Grace was hitting... We'd take Grace to spots. I'd go, fuck off. I'd go around behind the back of the building. I'd smoke heroin and pass out. And then they'd have to come get me. And I'd have to come and leave then. And right as I was leaving that trip... I, I was talking to Ilva about it, and she was like, she was like, she, bless her heart, but she was like, what are you going to do? Like, this isn't going to work. You have to do something about this, dude. And since it had crept in so much in my life, I was convinced, like, because I'd been around Ilva and Maria, I was like, well, they're going to go tell everyone at Burton, and then everyone's going to fucking drop me because nobody wants a heroin addict on their team. So I came home and I'm crying with Riley about this and I and that 
she had we had a little intervention right there with um, a couple of her friends that I've never met before, but I think that almost hit more. Cause like if it's my friends, I can I can justify it, right? I can be like, but I didn't fucking do shit to you. Like you don't know that I did that. You don't know that I was stealing your stuff. You don't know I was stealing your weed and then taking it down to the homeless people, trading that for ten bucks, using that to go buy heroin. And so when it was strangers, I fell apart, which is not like most people. I like I feel like that's very. I don't know. You want the more personal touch, but that like hit me. And like I said, I never made it home. It was like that right there. She was like, okay, we're going to hospital. We're going to take you into detox. You're texting your mom about it right now. Or like, we're never talking again. Like, you're fucking done. I don't give a shit. And that was my moment. Because I was like, I was convinced I was going to get dropped. Because I'd just been fucking off the whole year. Everyone knew it. Bless Maria and Ilva's hearts. They never said a word. That was my story to tell the whole time. Never bad mouthed. And it's not even bad mouthing, right? They're just talking about the things I did. Like, <laughs> never said a word about it. And I don't know. They're so, I love them for that. That's so amazing. But that was like my, I, I don't know. I was like, half of me was like, I don't care. I don't, I don't fucking need snowboarding anymore. But I could feel everything slipping. I was like, and, and you know, you know, you could feel things slipping and you're like, okay, am I going to do something about it? And then like two hours later, you're like, nah, I don't care anymore. But I never got that two hours later. It was like in that moment. And that's when I was confronted. And then I went down to rehab in Utah down here like fucking two or three days later after that. Um, How many days you do? 30. Nice. Well, 29, I'll be honest. I uh, was like, hey, guys, um, there's snowboard competitions I need to go to. Can I leave a day early? <laughs> and they let me out a day early. But So at what point, I'm curious, you're talking about being scared of Burton and your sponsors finding out, but now you're obviously very open about it and on social media here talking with people. At what point did you start feeling like not scared of losing sponsors and happy to talk about it? The day I broke my back. I thought because I thought it was over and that I uh, had done world record amounts of fentanyl in the ambulance there I always love that the EMT's like he's like dude I've never fucking given anybody that much fentanyl he's like are you okay and it was that day in the hospital because I was like it's over I don't care anymore right like it's over in terms of your career or like I'm gonna get addicted again no like I mean I thought my whole life was over right I was convinced I was just gonna be in a chair and I, I couldn't see anything past the hospital at that point. I was like, I'm stuck in here forever. Like, I, I don't care. It's going to be like two months till I fucking leave here anyway. So I couldn't even think that far. I thought, obviously, my career was over. I wasn't like, yeah, I'm going to go home and relapse. I don't fucking give a shit anymore. But I was like lost. Because like, kind of like what happened when I moved to Bend, I suddenly just had nothing. It was like... I based my whole identity around snowboarding and around the validation I got from it at the mm. end of the day. And then that was gone. And I was terrified. I was like, this is it. This is who I am. This is what's every year it has been like a cycle just to get to November and get told that I'm doing a good job. Yeah, that was the biggest because obviously I'd, I'd, we'd gotten to that. We're in rehab and like you're going through nine hours of group therapy every day and two hours of personal one-on-one therapy. So I'd gotten to the point where I knew that this external validation was not healthy and that 
basing my whole year around it and and saying like, well, it doesn't really fucking matter what I do because in November everyone told me my part was sick, you know? So who gives a shit about the rest of that? You guys don't know. Everyone said I'm fucking dope. Like, do you see these Instagram comments? And seeing that, because I... It feels good, right? Oh, yeah. It feels real good. So you hear that it's bad, and you're like, yeah, I'll try to work on not placing any emphasis on that, but I'll get there eventually. And I just saw it gone. It was like, boom. Nobody's ever going to tell you you did a good job again. What are you going to do? That's it. It's on you for the rest of your life. And, like, that was soul-crushing. All right, we're going to take a quick break and talk about one of our sponsors of the show, Bub's Naturals. Now, Bub's rules because they support a lot of things in snowboarding, including the bomb hole. And when you've heard us talk about the collagen on the show, great for the skin, great for the hair, great for the nails. We've talked about that a lot, but we're going to talk about their Bub's Brew Coffee. Now, this coffee is delicious. Here at the bomb hole, we got to get a lot of work done. We chug coffee and we always chug Bub's Brew. It's USDA organic. It's Whole30 approved. And 10% of all of their profits go to charity. They're always giving back for a good cause. The other product that I like to consume on a regular basis, I use pretty much daily, is the Bub's Naturals electrolyte powder. It's called Hydrate or Dye. You put it in your water, shake it up. It helps you stay hydrated. It's got no sugars, which is the big difference between that and a lot of other electrolyte mixes. It's got 2,000 milligrams of powerful electrolytes from nature, not from a lab. So if you're interested in getting hydrated, which is important to do in the winter as well as the summer, check out Bub's Naturals and use promo code BOMBHOLE at bubsnaturals.com for 20% off. All right, we're going to take a quick break and talk about Capita snowboards, particularly the Capita Navigator that I rode all through the powder season last year. Rode it, didn't think I was going to like it, but loved it. Let me tell you why. The Capita Navigator, it floats on top of the snow really well. It was new for me to switch up my setup and ride kind of a softer powder board, but I sized up to a 161. It was playful. It was maneuverable. You could get it up on edge real easy. And you had no back leg burn in the pow because the nose just wants to stand up and float. So I was really impressed with the Capita Navigator. Loved it on hard pack. Loved it in the powder. Had a blast with it. Even hit some pretty big step downs in the backcountry and it stomped. So I'm a big fan of the Capita Navigator. If you're interested in checking it out, you can go to your local snowboard shop if they carry it Capita or else you can go to Capita's website and buy from them directly. Yeah, well, one thing, this would be a cool thing to talk about. I'd be interested in in the point of getting sober, right? What I realized in my journey is that, like, um, by the time I got sick enough to make a change, I, I fucking didn't like myself. I was looking in the mirror, I was like, I don't fucking like that guy. Like, I'm not proud of who that person is. Right. I'm not. And, and did you have that moment when you were using? Every day. Yeah. I hated myself. And yeah. that's what I was, I was running from the whole time. And, but, 
I was so convinced that if I did a good job playing sports and everyone told me I was doing a good job, then like it's fine because I'm getting the I'm getting that outside validation, right? And so if I just win an award, then I'll feel good. And if I just do this, then I'll feel good. Wow. You hear it all the fucking time. Obviously, you hear it from like rich, rich people, and nobody wants to listen to a rich, rich person because you're like, <laughs> shut the fuck up. I don't care if you say money doesn't make you happy. But it's more about that like nothing outside of you will make you happy. There's nothing. doesn't matter. And, like, that was really fucking hard to figure out, right? You put your, you pour yourself into everything. You're like, finally, like, if I get attention from Mark Mick, I'm going to finally feel good about myself. If I win a video of the year, we'll finally feel good. None of it, none of it, none of it. None of it works. It will never work. It makes you feel worse. Every time. That is that is the most po- one of the most powerful things that's ever been said on the show. Silk, would you agree? Oh yeah, nailed it. Nothing outside of yourself will make you happy. That's fucking yep. it. And the thing that that's amazing too, you think about the positive validation. Oh, I like I like the positive ones. Well, so you're placing your self worth on other people's opinions, right? And so what happens when it turns negative? Yep. Well, then you and really the beauty of it is that when you truly feel great about who you are and know who you are and love who you are, that whether it's positive or negative, it doesn't fucking matter. Right. And I will say, I'm not saying we shouldn't compliment each other, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, it, we should still lift each other up, tell each other you did a great job, but if you're relying on that to fulfill you and make you happy with yourself, like, that's not going to work. I remember, I remember specifically when I was in rehab and I was explaining, I was like, I was like, well, yeah, you film a video part every year, but you're never really happy about it because if you're happy about it, then you did too much. And my therapist was like, what? She's like, you've never been happy with something you did? And I was like, well, no, that's how you get better. She's like, what the fuck are you thinking? Like, you have to celebrate yourself. You have to take that time to slow down, tell yourself you did a good job because like, like we said, no one... You'll hear it. Feels good. Next day, it's gone. Like, you got to actually build that up inside of yourself to truly appreciate the comments coming from outside. Now, I have a theory here. This is I'd love to get your take on this because I think that really, realistically, a lot of pro snowboarding is driven by all of the things you just said. If I win, if I do a good trick then people will love me. Then people will, you know, that's, that is really, I think at a, at a core, if you get on a little bit more of a conscious level, what drives a lot of snowboarders. So how do you pursue professional snowboarding in a healthy way? I don't know. I'll be honest. <laughs> maybe you don't. I haven't yet. Yeah. <laughs> like you, it's like, it's like, I truly, maybe your writing will change in the sense where it's like, I truly love this and the love and passion is pouring out of me and that's what shows up on the snowboard, yeah. not the need for validation. I have noticed, um, I mean, you've talked about this before, but like, uh, like the, you talked about like the LeBron document or the Michael Jordan or yeah. whatever. Like, dude did not have good coping skills no, at not, all. No. Like, he, he was so unhealthy and like Mike Tyson and all these guys that you hear, they're like, I wanted to fucking kill them. Like, and... That, not wanting to murder somebody, but, like, that, like, I am going to fall 50 times, but then I'm going to land the best trick anyone's fucking landed this year. 
And I don't have that as much anymore. I'll be honest. I don't want to fall anymore. Cause, and I, I realized that. I realized about halfway through. So I took the past year and a half off of snowboarding, right? I just They told me I was to chill for my back. And I was really thinking about that. I'm like, this, Jules, you've talked about this too. Like, as women, we have an innate, we want to protect ourselves. We don't want to fall. And like... Men, too, you want to protect your body, but, like, you, if you can put enough emphasis on, like I said, that external validation, you can get past that. And you can be like, doesn't fucking matter. I don't care. I'll walk in there with, with two broken arms as long as everyone tells me that I did good, right? I don't care if I bite through my lip and I have a fucked up smile for the rest of my life as long as they told me I did good. And... Oh my god! I keep talking myself into a corner, and I don't even know where the where We're I was talking going about men this. versus women in working through it. Yeah. Oh, and just but being healthy and trying to because I don't know if I can really get into like how different because it's it's just how much weight you place on that external validation, right? And for me, I put a lot of weight on that. That's how I was able to get over like the feeling of falling and. So you just beat the shit out of yourself out there, right? Like, you're constantly falling, especially as a woman trying to, like, learn a trick. Like, you're going to eat shit a lot. It's just you've never seen someone do it. You've got to figure it out on your own. But there is some—I don't know. So coming into this season with this new kind of mindset and these realizations, are you? where do you land with, like, approaching tricks and pushing yourself and stuff now? Do you feel like you're still going to have that— Motivation coming from a different place or where are you at with that? I want to find it for sure. But I think there's been like a weird um, side effect of, of trying to work on just being content with myself as I am that kind of pushed that away. Mm-hmm. And like I was uh, – I think it really started like right after I broke my back um, – I'm in meltdown mode. I'm in crisis mode. I'm like, I don't fucking know what I'm doing with my life. It's all over. Nothing's going to matter anymore. And I call up Izzy Gomez. Bless her heart. Shout out. Shout out. She broke her back a few months before I did. And I was like, dude, what do I do? What do I what, what? And She was like, I f- all I wanted to do is walk out of the hospital. She's like, if the rest of it doesn't come, that's fine. Like, whatever. It'll fucking come later. Just focus on walking out of the hospital. And that's kind of... Obviously, I'm not perfect. I can't just, like, simplify my goals like that. But I've really tried the past year and a half to, like, really one thing at a time. Okay, you're walking out of the hospital. Cool. Okay, next year you're just going to drive the car. Because for a while I couldn't, like, I can't talk while turning my head, so I had to do that for the camera. (laughs) Um, I couldn't turn my head, like, while driving. So you just... Very much, I was like, I don't give a fuck if I never ride my snowboard again, if I never film another street part, I I just want to walk around. And as everything came back and it started getting easier, I've, I, it's gotten harder to focus on that. Because I'm like, oh, yeah, let's go. Let's go back out there. Let's go film a part. I'm like, watch someone else. I'm like, I could fucking do better than that. And then I'm like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Why am I thinking like this? I'm like, does that matter as much to you anymore? And obviously, I do want to be the best snowboarder I can. Like, I want to give 100% in there, but I I want it to come from a place of being fine if I don't, mm-hmm. right? If I just show up to the resort, I don't get a clip, doesn't matter. I want to be okay with that. 
And that's really hard. And I'm not saying I'm there by any means. Like, I'm very much still working on that. And it's hard. Oh, I, I, this resonates so much with me. I've been having an external crisis in the, a very similar way. Yeah. In the sense that a lot of the, the books I've been reading with Michael Singer, been doing some deep energy work, been doing, working with a mindset coach. Like I've been going all systems go on getting out of my own way to experience the beauty of life. Right. And so, you know, going back to that as a pro snowboarder, well aware that the motivation for filming tricks was just as you discussed, like searching for love and validation from others, mm-hmm. right? And that's, that's the motivation, which is, is you're not, you're almost like, I will be loved once I do these tricks, right? I will. And so like, you're coming from this place of actually not feeling love, right? So if you can go internal and we're getting deep and crunchy and I love it, but you can actually, you start to come from a place of self-love. Well then I'm actually just okay. Why would I film a video part if I'm just okay? Then I was reading this Michael Singer book and it answered my existential crisis. And it's, if you're just okay, why, why still create? Why still do anything? And he had this, it's a two sentence quote in there. And it said, love needs to express itself. Enthusiasm needs to create. And so if you can, like, if you're overflowing with love and all those things, you need to express yourself. You need to create. And I think you can still do it in a healthy way. For sure. I'm not there yet. Yeah. That's one thing. I, I, like I said, I, I'm still not, I know it. I know it in practice. I know that like I need to come from myself, but like that's where I'm struggling finding it. I mean, I'm sure you know, like when you go to a, like a different resort, you get like, and they give you a ticket, say you feel a responsibility to get a clip. Mm-hmm. Like, and if you don't, you kind of like kick yourself down a little bit. And that was happening to me the past few days at Woodward Park City. I was like, fuck, dude, I'm like, I'm snowboarding, but I'm not having fun because I feel like I need to get a clip, but then I'm not actually down and it was just so back and forth. And and you're right, like, like once you can get to that spot, I think that's where the best, maybe not the best, but that's where a lot of authentic art can come from. I'm just not there yet myself. Well, another take on this subject too is thinking about Kobe Bryant, right? So Kobe was on a very similar path. Kobe's very deep, very well-read, very you know, into human optimization and such a huge inspiration. And he had Kobe and then he had the black Mamba. And when he went to the basketball court, he switched gears to the black Mamba. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a way to do that as well, where you can be, you know, Nora, the person that's working on deep self work and, and trying to be okay. And then there's the whatever the alter ego is when when you, when you strap into the snowboard, I think that's also healthy too. Yeah. Silk, I think so. Silk, you got a take on this? Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, Ilva actually talked about this when she was in about separating her different like activities with different personality traits and naming them. And that was something that she did and seemed like it worked for her. And we're kind of talking about the same thing, like finding a way to separate these different aspects of our lives and not let that uh, quest for validation come into the snowboarding, but still fuel it with like your love and expression and all of the self-work that you're doing. Yeah. And like, I think that's also a great tool to like figure out that one aspect of your personality is not the whole thing. And that's a big thing you come through with addiction, right? Is that the Mm. addict in you that stole, that lied, that cheated, that did all this shit. That's not you. 
I'm not the jealous, envious snowboarder. That is a part of me, for sure. But that's just a little voice. Chirp, 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 chirp. I'm, I'm the consciousness listening to the chirping, right? I'm behind all of that. But again, Kitty, it's so easy to say these things and practice and be like, yeah. And then I separated everything and I had perfect balance in my life. And now I never stress at all. And it's way harder to actually do fucking in reality. Yeah. And I think that, that that's a great point you bring up, too. It's not the fact that you, you don't just wake up one day and you're like, I'm good. Everything's mm-hmm. perfect. You just like put one foot in front of the other and you just try to make a little progress every day. And then one day you wake up and you're like, I feel OK. I, feel, I mean, it's also like good. self-awareness yeah. of being able to be like, if you're able to co- subconsciously put yourself away from your thoughts, you have to be aware of your thoughts. And that's like the first step of like, just know, knowing what you're saying to yourself and knowing your internal dialogue with yourself is like actually such a hard process to become aware of. Yeah. But I think it's the biggest, most important thing ever. Yeah. And like, I read that in book. I think it was, I think it was like stillness speaks or something, but, um, and that was the big, that was what I really took away from it is that like all these thoughts, all these little voices in your head, like that's not you. You are the person or the consciousness listening to those things, taking in that information, maybe acting on it, but like you have the choice not to, right? Just because I sit here and I'm like, oh, maybe what the fuck am I going to steal from this office? I'm like, oh, that's not me. That's just the, the way down part of me that likes to make trouble. So I feel like we're talking a lot about like being kind of on the other side of it, but I'm curious if you're comfortable talking about it, like how you started getting into doing drugs and what that was like. I just thought drugs were cool. I was literally the kid. You couldn't, it didn't matter what you said. I went through my class. I thought everyone was lying. Like I didn't, you could have sat me down, showed me a hundred heroin addicts and I still would have gone and smoked heroin. And I know there's people out there like that. You can tell them a million fucking times. You can show them everything. They don't care. You're going to go do the opposite. And they're gonna, I'm going to put my hand on the hot stove myself. Thank you very much. I want to see if it's hot. Maybe it's cooled down in five minutes. It's, and it's still hot, right? So I think it started, like I said, when I was a teenager, I was coming to high school every day with a fucking oh, Sailor Jerry's, dude. That shit was gross. But if you've ever drank Sailor Jerry's, it's like a spiced rum. And I'd, every day before high school, I would go to Tropical Smoothie. I'd get a smoothie. I'd drink about three quarters of it. I'd fill the rest of it up with rum, walk into school like 11 a.m., and just like drink for the rest of the day. And I just didn't care. I thought drugs were cool. I wanted to do as many drugs as I could. Heroin especially is the big bad boy, Right? And I'm fucking dope if I did the big bad boy and I'm still chilling. Like, that's cool. Or at least, you know, in my <laughs> juvenile twisted brain, I was like, this is how I rebel. This is how I show everybody. I just loved partying then, too. So, like, fucking once I moved to Bend, it was still running through fake IDs, drinking all the time, doing coke all the time, eating Xanax. I went back and forth with Xanax a bunch. Uh, it takes so much of your brain away. <laughs> And you steal so much. I that, I loved eating Xanax, but I was like, it's so, every now and then I'd wake up and I'd be like, oh my God, it's been six weeks since I had a coherent thought and I have all this shit I stole from 7-Eleven for no reason. Like, <laughs> You're like, what is all this stuff? Literally, yes. Dude, it's, it, ah, it's terrible. I know if anyone here has ever eaten too much Xanax, you know exactly the brain in your, the voice in your brain that says steal. Um and I'm not trying to glorify drugs, tell all my war stories, because they'll kill you. 
You go three ways. You go to jail, you go to rehab, or you go to the graveyard. That's it. You got your choice. And I knew that. I didn't fucking care, right? And I know so many people out there are like that. And it was just straight. I didn't care. I wanted to be the cool. You told me I can't do that. Well, fine. I'm going to fucking do it. Yeah. Hmm. I'll show you. And I'll be fine doing it, too. I wasn't. Spoiler alert. But But the thing, too, is life has this funny way of, like, you can tell people a million times. The only way to learn, I think, it's through experience. Through experience. You know, you can, it's like, you know, you don't know how to deal with fucking death until death hits you. You don't know how to deal with addiction until addiction hits you. And every time you hit these things, life has this perfect way of showing you. Okay, you think you got it figured out? Nope. Yep. Here we go. Let, what's the lesson with this? And, and, and some people are way better at it, right? Some people, you tell them the stove's hot, they won't touch it. Yeah, good some point. Some people, you tell them the stove's hot, they touch it once. I had to touch it for like 10 years before I finally figured out <laughs> that the stove is burning me and I need to stop touching the stove, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just people, people are different. Some people figured that out early, and I just wasn't one of them, to say the least. Uh, one thing I was going to ask, when you, when you went to rehab, did you disclose it to your sponsors? I texted Pat Dodge, yes, who and? deserves a very special air horn, but that was it. I told Pat, um, as I've, I've always felt some kind of like special connection there. Like, you know, when you meet people that you truly feel like have your back, mm-hmm. like they're not there for the... I mean, sounds corny to say, like, they're not there for the, for the company, but they're there for you. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's how I've always really felt with Pat. Obviously, he does an amazing job at Burton, but I've always truly felt that he had my back. And I, I felt like he deserved that. I felt like he deserved, like, everyone else, I was like, I don't have to talk to you for a month. Like, that's fine. I can fucking, I can just go fuck off. Um, but Pat, I really wanted to reach out to, and I really wanted to, like... I don't know, just stay real with him and, like, keep him informed because he's always, he's like I said, he's always had my back, and I feel like that was just, like, the least I could do. It's like, hey, and I was also convinced, like I said, that I was like, Maria and Ilva are already on the phone with him. They've been on the phone with him for months, and, like, everyone knows. So I was like, I've got to. I've got to fucking say something about it. So I told Pat, lovely Patrick Dodge, um... And that was it at first. And I was just like, yo, I'm going away for a little bit. I didn't really get into details. I didn't, I told him I was going to rehab. Um, but I didn't tell him why or any of that. And it's just like, I'll be back in a month. And bless his heart. He was just like, cool. No questions asked. He's like, let me know when you're back. Amazing. And then they also supported you through the injury, the big injury. Dude, they've, they've been amazing, right? Like, and I'll be real. We're talking about Burton, by the way. Yes, we are. Ever since that first phone call, I've been like, well, clock's ticking. Like, that one's not going to last. Look at everything, every rail team they've ever had, right? I was like, they never last. And so I knew, I was like, it's, it's kind of falling apart a little bit, and it's going to fall apart. But then when I, when I broke my bag, they called me, and they've called me multiple times since, and they were like, look, we don't care if this takes a year two years, three years, four years, five years. Nobody, we don't care. We want you on the team for you. We don't care if you never film another part. Don't care how long this takes. Take your time. 
And I was like crying. This is the first week I'm in the hospital. I'm like, if anything else, I filmed a good video part, right, Pat? And he's like, seriously, don't worry about it. And like, he meant that. We still, I was just on the phone with them like a month ago or so. And it was the same conversation. It was like, I know you're feeling good. Don't do anything if you don't want to. Take your time. We don't want anyone to get hurt. They're like, if you don't do anything this year, we don't care, right? And that was such, I don't know. There's so much talk of your family till you're not, right? It goes around a lot and everyone's like, so I was always convinced I'm about to get stabbed in the back. And like that was, that's been such a like, oh my God, maybe people actually are there for me, you know? Maybe I've been on the more negative side of viewing these relationships than they actually were. And not to say that doesn't happen. So many people get hurt, get dropped immediately. Any, Rookie Ivy, dropped by Burton when she broke her knee or something five or ten years ago, won the U.S. Open the next year. And, like, I think there's so much more thought about those relationships these days than there were before because pro snowboarders are a dime a dozen. You could fill another person in there. You could throw another person in, like... Find someone else. But people aren't doing that as much because they want those people that were on the receiving end, I think, are finally the ones in charge. And they're like, no, I want to foster relationships. I want, like, to keep the same people in as long as, of course, your accounting department signs off on it at the end of the year. But I think there's been a big shift with that. It's hard to see. And I could be eating my words in a few months. Like, I don't fucking know. But that's what I think. Burton has been there for me so hard when they didn't have to. When they had every reason. I've broken so many clauses in my contract. There's no fucking reason to give me another one, right? And every year, there's still another one. Still love. And that's awesome. And I hate to give a corporation a shout out and an air horn, but can we fire that bitch oh, yeah. yet? You know what I always thought was cool, too, when people wrote for Burton is the, uh, dude, huge boxes. Like, it seems like they keep people laced the fuck up in gear. I'll be honest, and it doesn't stop. It's not like one thing in the fall. It's like, here's some stuff in October. Six weeks later, here's more stuff. Six weeks later, here's more stuff. And I'm I'm going to be tooting my own horn a little bit here, but I've always tried to keep a revolving door with that, right? If I, I don't need five coats. Like, if we've gone through the selling season of that thing, I'm getting rid of it. Like, if it's for sale, it's already gone through, I'm passing it along to the next person because there's absolutely no reason for one person to have that much goddamn shit. <laughs> yeah, especially, I've always thought about that, especially when, like, it's the same board the next year. Like, for me, someone who's, like, not a pro snowboarder, they're like, let me send you a new board. I'm like, I really I really don't need one. Like, right. I just have this board, like, from last year or whatever. Like, give it to somebody else. It's totally fine. Yeah. And, of course, we're sitting here talking about all the good things we do. Like, I just, I'm so charitable. But, like, it's true. And I think as a snowboarder, that's a big responsibility. Like, I have always kind of judged people that take their stuff and sell it for like $300 or whatever. I'm like, that's, you, you have a, you kind of have a responsibility as the person just getting it in the mail to like help your friends out. 
and it always it's always rubbed me a little. I get everyone's got to eat. Right. But it's always rubbed me the wrong way when I see stuff like that, when it's like, here's a brand new snowboard. It's $450 in the wrapper. I'm like, dude, 150 bucks to your friend. Like, come on, you probably ran through seven of those last year. Does this one really matter that much? Yeah, like, probably depends on, like, how much you're getting from actually snowboarding and if, or, like, if getting the product is your means of making money off of For sure, for sure. And I'm not saying everyone needs to just give their stuff away, but... Yeah, but I get that. You know the people that are in a place where they don't need that $400. And those right. are the people I'm talking about. Yeah. Now, I want to go back. Uh, I was talking to Max Warbington. He mentioned that right after rehab, shortly after, you went to DIYX, uh, full sober party environment. I get asked that all the time. Uh, it's like, how, how do you still go out and socialize even though you're sober? How was that experience for you? That was tough. Because it was like, it was last November, right? So I went to, it was, went to rehab in April. So it had been, what's that, four, seven months. And the Europeans go insane. There was like a weird bug going around those first few days. And I remember I was just like sick, kind of stuck inside. And I remember those first few like nights or like mornings of like, I would wake up in the morning and I'd hear everyone fucking coming back from the club at seven in the morning and then going to the thing. I was like, you guys are insane. So it was hard. I'll be honest. Nice thing about European bars and clubs is you can smoke cigs inside or I didn't have to like go outside and be like (laughs) constantly. I could just like be chilling inside with everybody and dancing, but it's fucking hard. I I run through soda waters like they're nothing. And uh, at about 11, I was, I'm like, I gotta leave. It it sucks. I gotta go. So you get out of rehab, then you break your back, but you remain sober throughout that process because was it there, wasn't there like painkillers and stuff involved? Yeah, so I wasn't, I mean, if we're really going to split hairs, I was not sober in the hospital because I, w- I couldn't sleep. My back hurt so, I, I can make excuses, but they were giving me painkillers. I was taking the painkillers. And then about... That was like a Friday or Saturday. I had surgery on Monday, and then by like that Wednesday, I was like, I don't want these anymore. Like I, I can feel it. I can I can see that right there, and I'm like, this is another turning turning point in my life. I'm obviously a, just a little more prepared for it than the last time, but I was like, this is my the big moment where I'm like, they're giving me all these fucking painkillers. I can just keep eating all of them, and then I can go home and fuck off. But I. Really wanted to do better. And my mom was in the room with me, and I was feeling judged for taking all of them. So I was like... <sighs> so I, I, I forced myself... I kind of weaned off um, once I started walking. That first day I got up and I walked, and I talked to Izzy about it. I, it was just like, it's on. Like I was like, I really need to... One picture. Like, put the walls up. One thing. You're going to walk out of here. You're not going to focus on fucking anything else. And that sucked. Like my, the cravings after that were so hard. Because, you know, you're on that pink cloud. You're feeling so good for a little bit. And it all came crashing back down. And it was another, it was just a turning point. It was like, okay, what are you going to do about it? Like, and everyone was watching this time, which was a little different. Because I'd already, when I'd opened up on the internet, like, about all of everything that was going on, like, I was fucked up. I was, like... It took me probably an hour or two to write that post out. I and mean, there were so many s- spelling mistakes in there still. Because I was sitting there. I was super high from the painkillers they were giving me. And I felt like shit about it. Because I wanted, I wanted something different. And so 
a few days later, once like I'd gotten the reception from people, I'd so many people reach out that were like, dude, we've, I, I know surgeons that would like do it without uh, narcotics. Like, I, I bitched out of that one. I'm not going to do surgery without narcotics. I'm sorry, or at least anesthesia. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know. It felt like there was way more eyes on me at that point, and I, I, I didn't. I don't know, to be honest. There was something so deep inside of me that knew I had to stay sober, or like it was just gonna fall apart. And that's what they drill in your head in rehab. It's like it doesn't matter. Stay sober. Go to a meeting. Stay sober for the day. That's all that fucking matters. And and that's what I tried to fill my head with. And it wasn't easy. I fell apart a few times. There was a lot of ups and downs along the way. But you learn from those. And like, I don't know. Well, good for you for doing that big post and kind of exposing yourself. Because when you expose, it's th- that's the other thing. The, the opposite way to go about it. I'm going to do it in secret. I'm going to tell anybody. And then when you fucking do that, secretly, subconsciously, it's so you can fucking relapse again and you can go back out. Yep. But when you tell everybody, so they hold you accountable, and like that's a that's such a huge part of the process, and and because that's the, everybody when they first try to get sober, I'm just gonna fucking do it on my own. Right. I'm just gonna do it. On, it it yeah. doesn't fucking work. Nope. Doesn't work. And and but there's like pride in it because you're like it's embarrassing. I can't fucking tell anybody about it. Yeah. And I think that's what like when I. I, I keep saying that post, like everyone knows exactly what fucking Instagram post I made a year and a half ago. But like I did, it was, I made a post about like, it was a picture of my x-ray and my back and it, it was reading about the back stuff. But what, that, what it was really saying is I'm fucked up right now and I'm an addict and I don't want to do this anymore. And I need everybody to know that, right? And when I read back, it like, it doesn't say that. It's like, oh, my God, I'm in the hospital. I'm really scared. But, like, that's what that was to me. That was my, like, I have to fucking tell everybody about this because I can't hold this in anymore. Like, and I and I was high. I was high in the hospital on the painkillers they gave me. And I felt like fucking shit about it. And I was like, this is, I have to do something about this right now. It's like a cry for help a little bit. It was. No, a million percent that's what it was. I kind of have this theory that... Until, like, we're just talking a lot about being authentically yourself and showing up and being authentically yourself. Like, I don't think you can find true safety in just, like, internal safety and relational safety with people until you, like, truly are just yourself with people. Because until that point, you're, like, still trying to impose a certain image or still trying to be a certain person and, like, hoping that person likes you for that. But they don't actually like you for you. So there's, like, still this element of, like instability and not being safe and like just like an anxious attachment kind of around that in general yeah and but we all fall into that as kids right you want to be the cool person that you see so you try to adopt those characteristics and it's not it's only like later on down the line you're like and again it's so fucking corny to be like you can't be anyone but yourself but like it's true and like the messier sloppier version of yourself you can be the more people will be drawn to that and you know it's funny when you look at snowboarding you look around you look at the landscape it's just a bunch of people copying each other every everybody's just copying each other oh this cool person does this i want to be like this cool person oh this cool person and it's like there's just carbon copies of every and it's like the most rare thing is somebody that is just themselves you don't yeah. see it in, in our space. But, 
I mean, you see it, but it's, it's for rare. sure. You see it. You see it. And again, it's not through like anyone's fault. It's not like copying someone is a bad thing because that's where we all come from. You yeah. want to be the cool person that you see. Yeah. And then it's 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 once you let go of that, mm-hmm. that actually the originality starts to come through. And that's when you actually get cooler is by not being picking cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like taking that stuff and just like put like putting your own take like own flavor into it a little bit like yeah. cuz every like I don't think originality exists, but I do think it does in terms of like I take something I like from you and I adopt it with my own flavor and like that's where the originality comes yeah. like having the confidence to And that's that the thing. whole world. There's no such right. thing as originality. You try yeah. to look up talk to like a computer engineer about a truly random number there's no such thing. No such thing as, as randomness in this world. There's organized chaos. There's no such thing as original, totally random. Mm-hmm. Mm. I was kind of thinking about it earlier, too. We talked about, I'm going to go back to something we talked about earlier, about uh, finding the, you know, everything coming from an un- unhealthy place. But I also do want to kind of contradict myself, too, because, you know, even though, even though snowboarding is an obsession maybe because it's an escape from our own true inner turmoil. Like the obsessing about it is is also beautiful. Yeah. As an, as an, like, like if you think about if I'm judging you on your journey, like it it was an escape for you to take all your angst, the energy and like put it towards something. Totally. Right. And And that's a good, that's a great thing. And I made friends that way, you yeah. know, by other people that have fallen in the same trap of, I'm just going to shove everything into this thing. Yeah, yeah. And it, it gets you places, for yeah. sure. It's just that double-edged sword, right? It'll yeah. get you places, it'll get you friends, it'll get you into the AA meeting, but then you're all going to bond over, whoa, that wasn't good. That wasn't healthy. <laughs> yeah. Like, maybe we were wrong going that headfirst yeah. into everything. yeah. But there is something beautiful to being being like, I'm just going to contradict that and be like, I'm thinking of a trick. I really want to do this. I think I can do it. And then you go do it. And that's like, that there, whether, even if it's unhealthy or not, it's beautiful. It's true. And it's one of the most rewarding things. Like, like when you dream a trick and then you're like, wait a second, it makes sense now. And then you do it. Like, that's a crazy thing to just, like, like your brain literally just figured that out on its own. It didn't trial and error. It, it, it just went, like, oh, that's how you do it. Like, and that's such a cool, rewarding feeling for sure. And I think that's kind of, like, a niche feeling, too, because if you think about the general public, like, honestly, I don't even think learning new things is, like, that common. And in snowboarding, you're yeah. constantly learning new things. So, mm-hmm. like, that mm-hmm. feeling's kind of unique. And and the the battle of, like, right. I might not be able to do this, I might not be able to do this, I might not be able to do this. Oh, my God, I did it. Like, that's clip high. We talk about it all the time, right? Like, it feels good. And you're like, I can fucking do anything myself. But you can't do everything yourself. It gives you that, like, fake confidence where it's like, oh, I get it, I get it, I get it. I can do it, I can do it. I'll just put my head to it. And I'll just be angry and put my head down and then I'll get it done. And that doesn't work in the real world. Mm. So it gives you, I think... For me, it gave me that confidence of knowing, yeah, I could do it if I worked hard, but then I had to also learn that life isn't snowboarding. It's not one trick you got to do. Like, it's it's such a more involved community thing, and I can't get sober on my own. I can't 
I don't know, buy a house or build friendships and relationships on my own. Like that's, that's a, a nurturing thing that I need to put into other people. I have like such a big take on that in, in terms of like being a woman, just because obviously historically women are, women are so like the accessory to men. Like women used to be traded for cows. Like women were just yeah. like a thing uh-huh. basically. And so now I personally believe like there's such an overcorrection being done in ter- in like pop culture and stuff like all these rappers and songs and stuff that's like well I don't fucking need anybody I don't fucking need you and I love that but I do think it's an overcorrection to where like people are people's people people need people in connection and like until you can actually like be that vulnerable like you do need people you're fucking lying yeah and I was t- I was that girl I was that girl that I was like fuck off. I can fucking do it myself like every little job I had it was never about asking for help it was about showing that I could do it myself and that only gets you so far that like it feels good for a while and then yeah you end up at a spot where you're like I'm stuck I'm stuck I don't know I'm a lost person with incredibly unhealthy coping advantages with a drug addiction with an alcohol addiction that has so many goddamn broken bones that like in 15 years I'm probably not going to be able to walk and you're like I need help literally yeah and yeah that's huge that's huge and especially as young women learning that there's nothing wrong with asking for help we have to do this together you cannot do everything you're on your own and it doesn't mean you're dependent on another person or whatever like there's an interdependence that can exist yeah very much so and like and then it's the other yeah I think that's really important to learn Great topic. Thanks. I like it. All right, we're going to take a quick break and talk to you guys about Dragon. They got an incredible team of snowboarders. They got Kimi Fasani on there, who's a goat. They got Blake Paul, Spencer Schubert, Big Air Jer, Leanne Pelosi, and of course, Danny Davis, man of the people. And he's got his own signature NFX mag. It's got the LumaLens color optimizing technology and SwiftLock Magnetics lens changing system. Magnetic lenses are great because when you're snowboarding, your goggles fog or you're hiking around, you get snow on them, you ragdoll, you just keep a couple extra lenses in your pocket, boom, you got a brand new pair. So if you're interested in checking out their new NFX mag, head on over to dragonalliance.com, use promo code BOMBHOLE20, all caps, for 20% off your total purchase Valid through 1231 with the exception of their Black Friday and holiday site-wide sale. Um, going, going forward, too, thinking about life and snowboarding, one of the, another, you know, parallel I think about sometimes, too, is what holds back so many people is fear of failure. And what a beautiful thing with snowboarding where you're like, I'm going to try this trick a hundred times, and I'm probably going to walk away. I'm going to even do it. But, like, you're fucking, you had a go at it. You yep. might have, you, you enter a rail jam and you look stupid sometimes, like, but you had a go at it. And I think that that is crippling. But I think snowboarding has that kind of, fuck it, I'm just going to try it. I think that's where I was drawn to street stuff, though. Because you can fall and fail 150 times. And if you never land it, no one's going to know, yeah. right? You're not going to post the 150 falls, like, in your video part. Because I was very, and I still struggle with that. Like, when I'm on hill, I don't like to try. I catch myself. I'm like, I don't want to try something that I might fall on because then people are going to judge me. And then I can't have that happen. They can't know that I'm not perfect. 
And I think that's where, like I said, street and filming really was beneficial because I could fall, 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 fall for nine, ten hours. Next day, if I landed it once, that's all anyone's going to see. And that was huge to me. Mm-hmm. But, and I'm still working on that. I'm still working on the like, man, I can, I need to just be able to like go to the hill and just fall and have fun, like, and not worry about that so much. But I also want anyone, if they're, if anyone's listening to this and feels that, like, dude, you're so not alone. So many people, and I, I've noticed, especially in the streets, that's kind of a predominant attitude because you're on your own, you're away from the spotlight and you really get to curate the perfect thing to put out there and nobody sees any of the bad parts. And you can make yourself look really good at snowboarding. Really fucking cool. It, just because you did something that you tried a hundred, but whereas a contest snowboarder, they're just, they're just really fucking good. Yep. There's no way around it. Yep. Dude, I feel that in ter- like just being someone who like doesn't put out a product where like people like can tell I'm good at snowboarding, but like, I still want to, I feel like there's this, like, social equity, like, in the snowboarding community that, like, you got to have skin in the game. Like, you got to, maybe this is self-imposed, but it's, like, you got to be good at the thing to, like, work in the thing. And so, like, I definitely get, like, self-conscious because I'm just, like, at the resort. I don't really, like, I mean, I try to learn tricks and stuff, and I have fun with it, and I fucking love snowboarding, but, like, I'm, like... Oh, if they like see me fall, they're gonna think I like so good snowboarding, and then they're gonna think I don't deserve to work in snowboarding. For sure. And like, but I don't even like this is my first day out, and so I just like I definitely feel that. Yeah, well, and I think a lot of people struggle with that. I think uh, definitely as women, we have a hard time. We have to prove ourselves, but that's not to discount. Like, I'm sure if a man came into the industry and didn't know anything, like he'd feel the fucking same, right? You're going to feel out of your element and like you don't quite belong in there. So I don't want to like fully place that as a woman thing, but mm-hmm. it, it, it is a huge like I have to, I have to prove that I belong here because, and I have to do that every day because it could be somebody different, right? That person doesn't see me, right? I got to prove to them that I can fucking do it. And that's hard. That's a really tough thing to struggle with. Um, I will say in snowboarding, though, we do need people that know about snowboarding, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think you need to worry about that. Obviously, you've been in snowboarding for a long time. People know what your name is. Like, they're not like, oh, what the fuck does Jules even fucking belong here? But, like, for a random, I think that's very true. Like, (laughs) Right, right, right. I mean, yeah, it's like you— you see it. There's a certain, like, awareness that you need to, like, have and know what you're talking about and not just be, like, making ridiculous decisions. But in terms of just, like, skill level, I mean, I don't know. I'm just, like, if you like snowboarding and you, like, know what's up, I don't know. I think it really is just, like, a self-imposed, like, I'm not good enough to, like, yeah. and I used to struggle with it a lot. And now I just, like, don't really care because I think I'm fine at snowboarding except my ability level. Um, but we, that was something I struggled you, with for sure. You you definitely need people in snowboarding that get it. Right, that's important. Yeah, well, like the skill the skill is irrelevant, but understanding the culture and how it works. Because I, you know, being in this industry, we see all these like third party agencies that come in mm-hmm. and build a marketing strategy for a brand that. And they're people that work in an office that really don't understand it. And that's when you find yourself doing just some kooky stuff. You're like, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah. It's because you're doing a strategy that's created by somebody that doesn't know fuck all about snowboarding. Yeah. And like, I think, I think you're coming from the right place, Jules, but I think 
like Chris said, the skill level is irrelevant. You know, you don't have to fucking do a back two seventy onto a rail to be a team manager or whatever. Yeah, like honestly, the best ones are the ones that were never that good to begin with because they're hyped, right? Yeah, they're just true. stoked on everything. Mm-hmm. Like that's way more fun to be around than the crusty X pro. That's like, oh, you are. I could have done that better. In 98, I went 20 feet bigger kind of shit. Like, <laughs> But I also think it's cool what you were saying earlier about how, like, since snowboarding is such a young sport, you were saying how sort of the people, like, make, like, Pat Dodge, the people who are, like, making decisions, talking about budgets and stuff, like, at this point, a lot of them are people who were on the other end of it because it was, it's, like, maybe the first generation of people who've grown into the roles of, like, being in the industry, rather, but they get how it feels to, like, try to win a contest or be like a local border or whatever it is and there's so much value in that yeah we shouldn't date Pat Dodge because we're like the same age I'm pretty sure so I don't want people really? to think he's like 40 <laughs> no, he's, he's very much not 30. he's definitely at least 30 maybe not we'll leave that one leave that one up <laughs> that's to up the to him yeah. that's his story he can, he can pick his own age right <laughs> you know what I think is a good topic too is working through uh, you know I watch I was talking to Madison and I was like you know What's Nora's process? We've never, I've ridden with you at uh, Red Bull Recharge. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much not too many other places, but I haven't seen you in the streets. And I was curious. I was like, what's Nora's process when she's in the streets and she's going to put up a trick? And Madison's like, she doesn't mess around. She just puts it up. Like, she just goes for it. That's very nice of her to say. Yeah. But I'll be honest, shoveling is both headphones in. If I'm scared, it's both headphones in and I'm not looking at it. I'm not looking at it. I'm just going to sing along to the song till we're done shoveling. And then I am going to freak the fuck out until I do that first drop in. And like that little in between time is where I get really quiet. I get really inside and I try not to look at the rail at all and just get the first drop out of the way. Typically that worst fall is happening on that first drop, right? 70% of the time. But I've always found as, as soon as I can get that first drop or the first big fall out of the way, it gets so much easier but i have to get there and so i really go internal i really get quiet i'm like don't fucking talk to me i'm really fucking focused right now and then i i just try to get there and if i'm lucky it'll come together real quick and then like i said sometimes we spend fucking 14 hours at a rail you never land it go back the next day for 10 hours and you're like guys we can't keep doing this you guys need clips too like (laughs) we have to fucking leave and that happens plenty. Like, There's that clip in Hot Cocoa. I think it's Hot Cocoa where it's uh, the Quebec. It's a parking structure. You clip your nose and you flip over and you're like, that's exactly what I thought was going to happen. Yep. First and drop, you're too. Like, Got it out of the way. Yep. And then that was, that was one of those, though, where I, I walked away immediately. I was like, I'm not fucking doing that anymore. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's exactly what I thought was going to happen. And the fact that it was on my first one, I was like, we're leaving now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one sucked. I, I'd like to talk Hot Cocoa because I watched it yesterday. And maybe, it, like, I've watched it before, but it is so fucking good. Thanks. That that video is incredible. Thanks. You guys should be really psyched on that. You know what clip really stuck out on me? And it's right, right at the beginning, but it's, like, it's, it's maybe not the most, like, notable banger. It's kind of a sleeper banger, but you do the tail scrape 360 on the rock. Thank you. Love that clip. Yeah. That was fun. We, uh... We chopped down some really historical tree branches <laughs> at the risk of like a $1,500 fine in the middle of the night for that one. Um, and we got kicked out right away. Um, 
But I really, that was like the first thing I think I hit in, in Montreal or something. And I was like, I'm going to do a switchback rodeo on it. And everyone was like, I've never seen you do that. And I never got to the switchback rodeo. I was like, okay, fine. I'll do this little fun thing first. And then I think I got two hits in. I think I fell the first one. I landed the second one. And we immediately got kicked out. So that was kind of a lucky one, right? Mm. That was just like a little warm-up thing that I was like, this one, and then I'm going to do the big jock trick, and I'm going <laughs> to... And I got lucky. I got lucky that one was kind of fun. But how, thank you. How was filming... Because it seemed like your guys' energy was just electric when you look at all the footage that you guys got and, like, you know, the Maria switch front board. Like, there's so many just bangers, and it's just... You guys got a ton of just good footage. So how was the experience of filming for such an iconic project? I mean, for me, I was a mess, right? And I think a lot of that, like, energy really came from Ilva, if you're paying attention. Like, she's hyped the whole time. She's yelling for everybody. She's always got a smile on her face. And I felt like a 50-pound weight on the back of that train. Like, I knew I wasn't showing up for people. I knew that when they were hitting things, I was off fucking not supporting them, hiding in the back corner, dealing with my own shit. And I felt like I didn't belong. But I knew, I knew deep down it was going to be something special. And so, honestly, I kept lying to them and being like, I'm going to get it together on this trip, guys. You just have to invite me, okay? I'll be fine this time. But as long as you bring me along, right? And I just kind of forced myself in the door. But I really, the whole time, it's like, it was, it was tough. It was really tough feeling like I was, like, dragging them down. But then the, the internal need to get in on it, because that's where my validation is going to come from. And if I didn't do that and they did that, oh, I was going to fucking hate myself for a long time. So I knew I needed to be in there. So I was like, this is it. And... Uh, bless them. Like, amazing Grace, Maria, Ilva, all biggest fucking hearts in the world. I love them so much. Um, but, yeah, it was not all sunshine and roses, especially on my end. It was, a big, it was a big drain. I took a lot of energy away and focused it towards myself um, and, like, loved them to death that they were able to still come through with something magical. That's a great crew for sure. Yeah. Cool. Cool self-awareness on that too. Uh, you know what? All right, it's a good time to get into a segment of the show here. Uh, Silk, do you know where we're going? Is this a uh, name that video part? Name that video part is presented by Mammoth Mountain. We love Mammoth here at the Bomb Hole. It's good for everybody. If you want to go ride POW like Big Mountain Jeremy Jones, they got great terrain for you there. I've actually done that with them, a little bit of a flex. Uh, if you want to hit the jibs or do a backside 1080 and think you're Dusty Hendrickson, probably the best place to do that in North America. So they also have an upcoming event. They got the Grand Prix January 31st to February 3rd if you want to watch some hot action with the best snowers in the world. Now let's talk about the Unbound Terrain Park. They got 140-plus features. They got one of the best terrain park crews on Earth. They know how to build great jumps. You feel like a golden god when you go off a good jump. It makes you feel like a better snowboarder. They got 10 parks, 100-plus rails, 40-plus jumps at any time, mega, uh, mini pipe, a mega pipe, 
transition features everywhere. And let's run through their parks. They got Main Park, which is where you go if you want to flex. You want to hit a big jump. You want to do a 1080. You want to try to get in the X Games. Well, great place to learn how to do that is Main Park. High-speed quad. You get those reps up. Then you got South Park. Great flow. They got big jumps. They got medium jumps. Great rails. Then you got Forest Trail. You might catch me and Todd Richards out there. A couple old heads dusting off the Cab 5s. Then... You got a snake run. You got the Wonderland playground, which is micro jibs. If you're three and you can barely snowboard and you want to learn how to 50-50 a box, go to Wonderland playground. And then one day you might be the next Dusty Hendrickson or Louis Vito or Chloe Kim. Who knows? They also got the transition park. They got transitions everywhere. But all in all, Mammoth is an incredible resort. They support the show, and if you want to have a good time on your snowboard, check out Mammoth. They got it all. All right, Nora, how are you feeling? Bad. <laughs> Confidence level zero through ten. Yeah, big zero. Big zero. old goose egg. I like that. Okay. Well, um, you know, I didn't have much direction on where to go, so I just rolled the dice on this. Let's see how you do. <laughs> That sounds like a song Danielle would have used. That's it correct. It sounds like a too hard video. That's correct. <laughs> I like that. So you got you got fifty percent right so far. Is this a, a Madison video part? Fuck. I don't know then, I'll be honest. It's Alexa McCarty, uh, I believe still hard, I think. Wow. First yep. Uh, here is and you got yourself a uh, you know, fifty percent roundup. That's basically a right answer. We'll give it to you. It's yeah. a, a participation award. We got a uh, bombhole Yeti uh, carry-all filled with bombhole merch. Kind of matches size, with your outfit. Size medium. Flattered. Thanks, Yeti. guys. Yeah. So appreciate you uh, participating. Name that video part. This next part is for our listeners. If you know the song, comment on the photo of Nora on our Instagram. That's where we pick our winner. Here we go. Okay. Do you know that one? Nope. Okay. Thank you for playing Name That Video Part. Can we give Alexa a quick air horn? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like we breezed over that Lexi pretty P. quick. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was, where's my air horn? Okay, there we go. I like that. Yeah, we did breeze over that. Yeah, great part. I thought it was a very uh, recognizable song. It, the part's amazing. Do people forget how hard those videos hit back mm-hmm. in the day. Oh, they hit. The I was obsessed with Too Hard. Too Hard videos got like millions of views. Like there was a Vice series on them. Like that shit popped. The soundtrack banged. Yeah. Yeah. And then to everyone else, I mean, it's been said a million times, but it was it was like a joke. But it was so cool how they were like, we're going to drink 40s and we're going to like listen to rap and like fuck off and essentially be like, me- like how the men do it. Right. And like, that was why it was so fucking cool. That's why I thought it was cool. Yeah. Too, yeah. Um, have you ever done a run through a wall smelling salt? I have. It's a good you, time Are you for interested that. in hitting one? I'm interested. It is one of the most vile things I've ever put in my nose. And that's saying a lot. <laughs> uh, vile as in like 
really good. As in a high yeah, quality. Yeah, that's what Viola means. You mean for sure. Yeah. You want to buy some Tasty. at thebombhole.com. Yeah, nice exactly. plug. Exactly. Okay. Using promo code Nora for 40% off. Yeah, uh, I'm not so <laughs> sure about 40, but we can do... Uh, Maybe zero? No, <laughs> we can do... We'll do promo code Nora 10% off. All I right. Like that. We'll, see how, we'll see how Make it works. Make a note of that. All right. This is approved by your local rehab center as well, too, just to let you know. <laughs> oh. Nice. Delicious. <laughs> Shit hurts, dude. It hurts really good. Wow. That's good. <sighs> All right, we're back. That's a good little little, little pick, pick me, me up, up, get me through here. Oh, that's good stuff. <clears throat> I have a topic I'd like to talk about. Bring it up. Um, you are very open and candid on social media about being a queer person in general, and especially in snowboarding, and I was just wondering if you'd like to share... That your experience, I, it's, it's hard to to speak on how it would be different because I don't know, right? Like I've always kind of just been like, yeah, I'm gay, and I don't really know what the other side of the coin would ever look like. I don't know if I ever like pushed people away because of that because I never knew them in the first place, right? So it's really hard to say if my experience has been different, because all I know is, like, my own. I would say no one has ever had anything mean to say to my face, except for sometimes on Instagram. I got a comment the other day that said I looked like a poorly drawn Sean White, and it made me laugh. Like a Walmart Sean White? Yeah, I was like, okay, that's kind of out of pocket, but sure. But, like, I don't... I don't know. I don't... I I can't say if it's been worse, if it's been better. I, I have no sense of direction for that. I think it's been talked about before that, like, kind of as an athlete, most men are just, like, assume that you're a lesbian, right? Especially as, like, someone that's chucking herself for the validation of it. They're like, yeah, you clearly don't care what men think about you. Like, <laughs> so I don't know. It's been, it's been amazing. It's been terrible. Every straight woman I saw that, uh, Got a boyfriend in the industry or a husband in some way has bit them in the ass about it. Not saying that their specific partner has done it, but I've. You just hear people talking, right? And you hear that behind their back, and you're like, "Oh." Do you feel us? Oh, go ahead. I was going to ask. Do you feel like snowboarding in general is understanding of the queer community, or where are we at with that? Yeah, I think much more so than um, than some other sports. I mean, everywhere's got. It's places to grow. But, like, if you even look at how long that, like, women have been part of snowboard competitions, like, women still aren't allowed in uh, Rampage, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, mountain Not biking like- still has men's only events. Like, yeah. that's fucking insane. And, like, we haven't been there for 20-some-odd years. Mm-hmm. The pay hasn't been perfect, but, like, we haven't straight-up excluded these people compared to, like, so, the way some other sports have. Motocross really bad. Yeah. It's only dudes. So, obviously, there's always room to grow, but I feel like, in general, snowboarding has been, in a way, our own... The way that we're so insular and, like, it's it's a much smaller crowd of people paying attention has been helpful. So you don't get the normies that are just hating like skateboarding. You get so many fucking comments have been in skating about everything. And it's like this just doesn't really happen as much in snowboarding. Mm-hmm. 
So I think there's definitely room to grow, like I said. But I think we're miles ahead of most other sports. I think I, that, that's an interesting uh, topic about the kind of the core nucleus of snowboarding being small and it helping that. Yeah. It makes sense. Because we all worry about what other people think of us, right? But, like, in skating, like, you're going to get way more people telling you what they think about you. And, like, not from inside skating, just fucking Instagram comments. You're going to get that all the time. Surfing, you're going to get that. Any other sport. Mm -hmm. But in a way, our own little small niche, whatever. If you're the shit, you're maybe 100,000 followers, 200,000. Like, that's Mm -hmm. huge, right? And so it it makes for a much more healthier place, I think, in a way. It can backfire, but... That's how I see it. Mm-hmm. When the community is smaller, the people are people, and they're not just like, you know, aside from me, like Sean White, you know, I, I feel like sometimes as society, somebody gets like wildly famous, you can comment whatever you want because they're not a real person. Yep. And like the good thing about snowers being small is like, oh, that's actually like a person that I could see at the hill. Right. People don't right. really get yeah. big enough to become that object to shit on. I mean, you can, of yeah, course. Yeah, it happens. But. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's like probably like a friend of a friend or something like that. And like right. people are going to hear if you're being an asshole. So there's like sort of a level of accountability mm-hmm. and stuff. Where like you don't want to like burn bridges and be an asshole in the industry because it's so small or the community rather. Yeah. And I think especially in terms of like, queer and trans people, I think there's still, uh, obviously, I've said this five times now, but there's still a a lot of progress to be made. But like at the Uninvited Invitational last year, there were trans women, there were queer people everywhere. And like, I'm obviously these people get hate comments on their pages. I want Mm -hmm. that to be very well known. Like they are not just floating through life, being given things. Like there's a lot of fucking shit that comes with that. But on the Uninvited page, I didn't see that you know i'm not seeing that general i don't know it's 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 a little bit better Mm -hmm. i mean at the end of the day too not to discredit what you said there's a lot of people saying dumb shit on the internet yeah like it's my inbox is unbelievable sometimes it's fucking i'm baffled and it's not like it's not i mean yeah actually there is hate but but the point being is just like and I don't want to – I will never know that experience. So I, that's not a devalidation of that, just to be really clear. Like, I won't know what that's like. Uh, my point is almost just like, there's dumb fucks out there. <laughs> they're, yeah. Like, they're and, – and I think it's getting better, but that when there's a large audience, there's – you know, you take 200 people, maybe pluck one pe- person out of there, they might be not doing so great. Yeah, and, someone's going to have some dumb shit to say. Yeah. Someone's always got some dumb shit to yeah. say. Then I've I, had a lot of dumb shit to say yeah. to people sometimes, and I'm like <laughs> – the healthy response, which is not how I view it when I read dumb comments, but it's like it's more about them than it is, it is. about us. Yeah. And or it, it's it's a projection of like, like you see a really hateful comment. It's like they must not be doing so good. You know? Yeah. That's that's where it comes from. It still doesn't make it OK. It doesn't make it OK. For sure. No, it doesn't make it OK. No. But that's where it comes. But from. I get it. Yeah. And like. Sometimes it's kind of funny when it's, like, weeks old things. You're oh, yeah. still getting comments. And you're like, dude, you need to let it go. Like, dude, but you're <laughs> also kind of unfuck with the ball on social media because, like, you, like, just be posting, like, a 
picture of yourself in a bikini and the the captions like, yeah, I'm doing whatever the fuck I want. Like, try to talk shit on that. Thanks. <laughs> I appreciate it. Also, I got a perspective shift for you. Somebody's talking shit. What is better than living rent free in somebody's fucking head? Literally, that's what I find <laughs> it funny. Yeah. Like, I'm like, you're still thinking about this, like. Mm-hmm. And it's not like like I came at them. Like it's like a third party coming in a month later, and I find that so funny sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> that they've just been thinking about it this whole time. I will say this though, in regards to comments, though, people that comment from a burner account mean shit are fucking cowards. It's yeah, such, I think it's like just like a. It's just. I mean, just it's just like a. Don't you, I don't know. Am I wrong with that? Maybe now, just, I've received a lot of those, but I'm like... You're what? right, but I think there's two streets with this, right? Okay. Hate comments for sure on like a little burner, one follower page thing. We don't like that shit. The anonymous m- meme pages that are just kind of talking shit and posting things, I value those. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I'm going to give a shout out to whoever's running the Jibbing Is Not yes. Dead page. Yes. Do you follow Bimbo Fairy? No. <laughs> oh, I got to send you Bimbo Fairy. J- Jibbing's Not Dead has people triggered. It's so funny. It's and like, I think that's so important right now. Like skating kind of went through that with like their gifted hater phase and like being able to make fun of itself. And it feels like we're finally getting there. And yeah. I love that shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, there's a fine line of like bullying and shit talking. And shit yeah, talking is important. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, it is an interesting one. Because if you really look, if you're taking offense to it, the, the root of that is ego fragility, right? It's like, right. Don't, don't take yourself so seriously. Yeah. We're sliding down the hill on a piece of fucking wood. Literally. Some guy wants to comment that there's snow in the stairs. That's fucking funny. Don't take it personal. It's really funny. It's just funny. That's <laughs> yeah. all it is. Because guess what? You got paid to do that trick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I got paid to leave sta- snow on the stairs, all right? <laughs> yeah. Well, good Good topic. Uh, one thing that um, Madison brought up was uh, you have some passion. You guys sh- share about affordability in snowboarding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially like growing up outside of snowboarding and like kind of in a fair weather climate the price hurdles for gear is fucking insane and like uh, this one this one might bug some people but i think that's where companies like dope snow and montech are actually helping the community because oh, most shit. people, I would love, I, I know, people are going to be angry about this one. I can tell you that right now. Yep. Um, but I want to say normal people that it did not grow up in snowboarding look at a $500 snowboard, $500 jacket, $400 boots, $300 pants, and go, fuck no. I'm not buying that shit, right? That's way too much money, especially if you have more than one kid. You got to do that for all the kids? That's insane. And you're going to be just cold anyways. Right. And then these intro-level brands that do not make good things. I want that to be clear. It's not waterproof, like, but it gets you on hill in something that's kind of comfortable and you kind of feel good in. And maybe two, three, four years down the line, you actually buy that Gore-Tex coat. You actually buy the nice snowboard or something. But I started on a Walmart board. Like, nobody was ever angry about at Walmart for making shit snowboards and for taking from snowboarding like you've got to get there somehow and and it's so easy to look at that first purchase and go oh that money's not going back into snowboarding what's the fucking point but 
such a big thing, and I'm not a business major, but restaurants, you bring the customer in the door, you give them their first meal for free, they'll come back. You get the snowboarder on hill at a low price, they're going to come back and invest more into it. But if they spend $1,500 for one day and they hate it, they're going to fucking sell their shit and they're not going to go back up. And that's how I look at it. And I don't think we're, we should all be wearing these things. But I think the intro level brands play such a huge part in getting people on the hill and getting people snowboarding that really gets overlooked in like just the short picture, the small picture. It's a great take. Thanks. Can we like clickbait it and like kind of ch- clip that so it sounds like I'm just praising them and then put that one on Instagram <laughs> for comments? For sure. Consider it done. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. That would actually, yeah, that'll that'll get people Hell right. yeah. I think that I've never looked at it from that perspective, but it makes sense. If the, the hurdle, again, being how do you take somebody that's like goes snowboarding to where th- there needs to be an arc and people aren't going to buy a $1,500 snowboard for it to sit in the garage or I mean set up boots, all that included. But like for, yes, my first snowboard is a uh, black snow plastic snowboard and I snowboard in that backyard and yeah. then you get, oh, I got a shitty, you know, and then eventually a Moro and then whatever. But yeah, there there is, I like that take about the, the arc of getting somebody in. Yeah. Like, again, we all started on a Walmart board. Yeah. And I like to look at these companies as the Walmart boards of clothes. Mm-hmm. You've got to get your foot in the door somehow or you're never going to get the people there. We're always complaining about there's not enough money in snowboarding. Nobody gets paid anymore. And then nobody wants to do anything to bring more people into it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we've got to get there. And that's just one side. I also very much think the companies that make the expensive clothing could do better about it. So it doesn't have to be the dope snow selling the shitty thing. It can be that, like, look North at what... North Face could have price point, is bingo. what you're saying. Like, what Jess just put out, like, their $175 North Face kit, like, that's incredible. And that's what we need more of. Like, and the North Face is bringing the customers in themselves by doing that. They don't have to make the step from dope snow to, oh, look at that other cool thing. They're just like, uh, they're in-house already. And that's just business, baby. And that's how I look at it. Smart. What about the affordability of just the act of snowboarding? That one's tough. Because I think if you look at the product, so when lift tickets were $2, you had, like, one rickety chair, right? And that was kind of it. And so for the more chairs that on chairlifts that are getting put in and the more people are coming in, the cost to run the mountain is going up. Better snowcats and stuff. But what hasn't changed is our wages in this country. Federal minimum wage has been $7.25 for, like, 20-some-odd fucking years now, more than 20 years. And things just keep getting more and more and more and more expensive. And I think that's where the disconnect is coming in. I think I think ski resorts are running on very razor-thin boundaries. Or boundaries. What's the word? Margins. Margins, yes. Very razor-thin margins. I don't see the numbers. But I think a lot of them do the very best that they can. Not the veils of the world, of course. But... It's a deeper problem of the people in this country don't get paid enough to go spend money on fun things, and they should, and that's the problem. It's not that the fun thing's too expensive. It's that you're getting fucked over by your fucking employer. Sorry. But that's how I see it. 
be wrong. No, it's a it's a, no, I mean, it's a complex. It's a it's a it's a problem that is far more complex than my understanding of the global economy and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, does it seem like lift tickets are too expensive? Yes. Do I have a solution? No. Is snowboarding fun? Yes. The other argument is that there there is also another argument too that everything's expensive aside from skateboarding, yep. you know, but your kid plays hockey. If they ride horses, if they play soccer, they play in a league. But, you know, I, I do think if you truly love something and you put place value on it, you will find a way. It's like the same way an addict's going to find their fix. If you love snowboarding, you're going to get your clip. You're going to go snowboarding. You're going to find a way. Still, shit's expensive. Not yeah. to, it's, but that's just like and if you like, truly love something, then you'll find a way. But like this person who's like maybe paying like getting paid seven twenty five an hour is insane, and like having to work like two jobs or whatever yeah. it is. Like they're, they're yeah. fucked. They're, I don't know if there's like a. So like people yeah. work at a ski resort. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. If you're close to a ski resort, yeah. And I will say, like, and this is not to say that there's an affordable option everywhere because there's not. Right. But in some places like here, you've got your Deer Valley and then you've got your $25 Woodward ticket. Mm -hmm. Like there is the option in some places still. And it's I don't like I said, I think a lot of them are. I'm just going to stop right there. I'm going to fucking put a foot in my mouth. I'm going to say another thing and just speak out of my ass again. But when I look when I want to go snowboarding, I don't need much. Uh Give me a rope toe. Give me six rails. Give me a medium-sized jump. I'm fucking good. I'll go to that. I'll go there every day. Yeah. And I would like to see, uh, uh, you know, uh, movement towards small hills. I mean, Woodward's a great example. Highland Hills are a great example. Trollhagen, you know, all over the world, these uh, Mission Ridge up in the, the northwest, like small hills, rope toe, fun stuff, like affordable, yeah. low-maintenance High fun. I know that you're not going to get your as many like skier people going on vacation if that's what you're looking for. But God, is it fun? Yeah, and like the special thing about Highland is it's owned by the city. Like, and that's huge. That's what keeps it affordable. That's what like keeps it kind of nice. And so many more cities could do that. True. Like so many more northern cities could find a little hill and just fucking run a little kid's daycare out of it. Mm -hmm. Just like put up a rope toe. That model, though, is just like nobody sees it. You know, you see there's all the little resorts are getting bought up and consolidated. And like you just don't get those outside opinions anymore. And I don't know what the solution is. Right. Obviously, lift tickets aren't going to come down. I think... It would be great to see investments in those smaller places. But the thing that gets me the most is like that just the average American does not have any dis- expendable income. Like there's everything goes to bills and that's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's where the big problem comes from. Yeah. So snowboarding is like a privileged sport if you have extra means. Basically, yeah. it's not it's not a low income sport. No, totally. I mean, yeah. even look at like. What are, like, youth baseball or soccer fees? Remember, like, they're, I, they're expensive. Everything. Right? It's like a 1500 2000 bucks for, like, a season to put your kids in sports. Right? Mm-hmm. But that's a safer bet. That's a safer bet for a lot of people because it's close to home. It's easy to do that. And they're, like, 
if I'm going to spend the money on anything, I'm going to spend it on that because it's a safer bet. And they don't have the money to just do the extra like, woohoo, let's go try skiing and snowboarding or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Good topics. Fun conversations. Thanks. Do I want to say, I was reading an article in a magazine recently and I was talking about your carbon footprint, right? And... He was giving out a bunch of numbers. He was talking about, like, yeah, the average, like, a flight, like, flights put out, like, whatever, 2 billion tons of CO2 throughout the year. But it's really hard to look at those numbers without the big picture, okay? And so I really want to set the record straight, especially, like, commercial flying. From the EPA's website, 2022, 28% of our U.S. emissions last year were from the transportation sector, Right. 7% of that was from commercial air travel. That means 1.8% of our greenhouse gas emissions in the U.S. came from commercial air travel last year. Trucking was somewhere near like 25%. Like this idea that you and I are not allowed to fly to go see the world because it's irresponsible to the environment is a fucking lie told to you so that the big chemical corporations of the world can keep spewing their shit up in the air and that's why Salt Lake City you can't see the mountains this morning like there is personal responsibility but I do want people to know that you shouldn't deprive yourself of seeing the world because you feel like you're hurting the world at the end of the day because that's not true and that's what people want you to think so they can stay Harm free. Like the idea of your personal carbon footprint is a lie made up by Exxon. Yeah, it's more about like the corporations are actually the ones who need to make the changes. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can all do our part, but like, yeah, it's like the huge industries, like the fashion industry and like, I don't know, the plastic industry and all that shit. Well, and if you look, our infrastructure of the US is based on trucking. We don't use trains that much. We do here and there, but the big business is driving trucks across the fucking country. Amazon packages got to get there somehow. Yeah. And like that, there's such a giant amount of our emissions that come from that that are just ignored. That like we just don't talk about, right? We'd rather drive an 18-wheeler across the country than talk about anything else. And I I really want people to not feel guilty Obviously, don't be using, like, plastic cups and all of that stuff. But, like, the idea that you're not, again, allowed to enjoy your life is so I I actually don't see that much. Is that, like, flight shaming a thing? Yes. It is. For sure, yeah. People will talk all the time about, like, oh, you care about the environment. Especially, I notice the backcountry people get it way more. Yeah, they totally do. Mm -hmm. They get it way more than the rest of us because their image is, like, the mountains, right? And yep. nature. And they'll be like, well, you took a, a flight to get up there. And so, like, aren't you really harming this? Or even when they're like, we offset all of our travel emissions. It's like, dude, it wasn't that much to fucking begin with. Like, I, I get it. But, like, really, I, I beg people to go to the EPA's website and look at these numbers because, like, it is so much more skewed than you think it is. Around 30-something percent of our emissions come from burning natural gases in our homes. And that's compared to the 1.8% of commercial air travel. Like, <laughs> you've got to look at these things mm-hmm. in comparison. Great. Uh, great fun facts. This is informative for me. Thanks. I, I like yeah, that. Yeah, me too. Way to drop some knowledge on this show. There will be some people giving you their opinion in the comments. For sure. That. I'll take it. <laughs> 
All right, this next guest question is presented by Hippies, and it's from Madison Blackley. Now, here at the Bomb Hole, we love hammering snacks at the office, and our snack of choice is always Hippies. They're delicious, and they're actually good for you. A lot of snacks that I buy that are healthy taste like you're chewing on cardboard. I don't know why I buy them because they're disgusting. Not the case with Hippies. They're delicious. I love the nacho vibes, packed full of flavor. They taste great. They're non-GMO, and they're made from chickpeas. Now, the cool thing is they're farmed. these chickpeas are farmed with 10% of the water than most proteins. So you're using 90% less water taken from Mother Nature. Support sustainable farming with sustainable snacking. And if you're interested in getting some hippies, you can find them at your local grocery store or hippies.com. Use promo code BOMBHOLE for 20% off your order at hippies.com. Hey, Nora, it's Madison. Um, I want to ask you about this past season. You just came off filming, I think, your best video part yet. You know you had accomplished a lot of the goals that you had in mind filming with Burton for Hot Cocoa. And then shortly after that, going to rehab and getting sober. And then shortly after that, breaking your back. Looking back on the season, how do you feel about the part that you put out and what other endeavors do you have in mind for the future coming up after taking a little bit time off? Well, thanks, Madison. Great to hear from you. Um, dude, it's kind of hard to watch that video. I'm not going to lie. The first time I watched it, I just forgot. You know, you watch your body move when you're kind of fucked up. You see it. My feet are heavy, kind of all over the place. And the first time I watched the video, I saw that. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see the tricks as much. I literally was just like, oh my God, like you look like a fucking mess. And that was hard. That was like the first time I saw the video was in Whistler. Um, I was really like, wow, that was way tougher to watch than I thought it was going to be. And it got a little bit easier past then, I think. Again, realizing that, like, these weaknesses and these vulnerabilities and being honest about them are, like, the biggest strength I could have, at least for me, was, like, it was just hard. It was really tough, like, just watching that. And then watching people like, yo, so sick. And I'm like, I was a mess. Like, that doesn't, I don't see anything good in there. I just see messy, messy, messy. And that was tough. Um, I thought I'd be way more proud of it than I was, you know? I thought that I'd be able to, like, kind of put the memories to the side and just see the snowboarding, and, like, I couldn't. It was not like that at all. And I very much just saw this shell of a human being. Um, and that really sucked. Uh, what was the second part of the question? Uh, I believe something about excited for the future. Yeah. yeah. Specifically, uh, what endeavors do you uh, are you looking forward to in the future after taking some time off? Ah, thank you, Madison. I'm, um, I don't know. As we've talked about, like, I've said this so many times, but, like, trying to come at snowboarding from a healthy place and not from the, like, I've got to fucking be the best, so... I get that validation has been like, I haven't had any time to do it. Cause I took like the past year and a half off. I didn't really do anything. And I, 
So I think in, <laughs> in a corny way, that's what I'm looking forward to the most is trying to just have a healthy relationship still with snowboarding. Like I don't care for lack of a better word about filming another part. I just don't give a shit right now. And that could change for sure. It probably will change. But I think right now I really, really, really want to be able to go up to the hill, not film a clip, and then go home and not think about that anymore. And I think that's what I'm most excited for. Why? Why do you want to not think about it? Because it still sucks. I remember that feeling like when I first started snowboarding of just the sheer joy of going snowboarding. Nothing mattered. You didn't have to film anything. You didn't have to do shit. And like, it, it, it sucks to feel like you're, you have to do something in, in return. Like if I, did, if I went up and I didn't film a clip, I didn't do anything. And so what, am I, what did I even go up there for? And I still am just struggling getting past that and being able to like go up, do nothing, come home and be okay with that. And I don't know why. <laughs> See, I, I like that take. I admire that take. I am going to challenge you on that take. Hit me. I think that being excited about snowboarding is healthy. Like, you don't have to put it in a box and put it away. Right. I think you, you can go home and be like, that was fucking fun. I'm excited to do that again tomorrow. Yeah. And that's okay. That's where I'm trying to get to, though. Yeah. Still, every time I go up there, it's a, fuck, I got to go like do a, a backflip same way. I got to do a 270 onto something. And I've, it's got, like, I've got to or I want to. I have to. Okay. I don't want to. Okay, that that's makes the sense. thing. Got I it. don't want to do it, but I have to to show everyone I still can, kind of thing. <laughs> but I don't want to feel that way. Mm. So you're having an ex existential crisis. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, you'll figure it out. You'll yeah. get there. Thanks. Appreciate it, guys. <laughs> don't be afraid to not overthink it and just go too. I'll try my best. It's easier said than done. Yeah, right? <laughs> just, like, stop thinking about it. You'll be fine. Have you ever tried just, like, taking a deep breath? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Girl, calm down. So have you ever tried taking a deep breath? <laughs> no. Not Absolutely once. not. <laughs> have you ever tried doing an ice bath and then posting about it on Instagram? That seems to help work for people. Yeah, there's no possible way to do that without posting it on Instagram. Yeah. You should start a page for your sauna. <laughs> okay, I'm going to smack a smelling salt and we'll do hot takes. Fire it up. Can I have one? Fire yeah, it send up. Them, send them around. Oh, wait, yeah, we, I have We got some here. <laughs> Whoops. I'm overdue. Start it off, one? Madison. Madison. Start it off back there. You got there. dubs over there. Right. Crack it in the mic for us. Big fan of these. Oh, Ooh, that was crisp. Oh, God. oh, <laughs> she loved it. I love it. It's only in the one side of the brain. Ah! Yeah, mine's going right side. Bro, oh, I love these things. <laughs> oh, 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 God, oh, that was a fucking. This is burger. a strong bat. It's kind of what I imagine, like just oh. snorting rubbing alcohol would feel like. It's like that. That's not true, it's listeners. Much better much experience. Better. <laughs> the, the brick is available at bombhole.com. It's a three-pack. Great for great the holidays. For holidays. Great, <laughs> great, great for the holidays. It's great for the holidays. All right, we're going to get into the pub beer crapshoot. It's time to roll some dice for some cheap fun presented by Pub Beer. No matter what you're doing, cracking 
Cracking open a pub beer is cheap fun is always a safe bet. Uh, responsibly, I should say. Uh, and if you're uh, not sober or in recovery <laughs> as well, I'd like to add. Yeah, not a safe bet over here. <laughs> <laughs> um, roll that. And then uh, actually, where's my sheet? Oh, I got it right here. I'll tell you what you got to do. Goon gear and a four. Six and a four, that's a ten. Perfect ten. What's the biggest prize check you've ever won? I think like two grand. Whew. Where at? I think hot dogs. Hot dogs. Yeah. Like the last year, hot dogs. Yes. Respect. I will say coolest one I ever got, which is not the question, but I'm going to answer it anyway. Like that? Scoff. Last golf finals we did was like fifteen hundred bucks in dollar coins in a big bag like a pirate, and that was sick. No way. That was one it of the coolest. No. Isn't there something yeah. else, Madison, as well? Uh, skydiving or something? <sighs> Shout out to Air Blaster. When are you gonna come through with that skydiving that Nara was supposed to win Dude, during I this know. golf? Is that that was one of the prizes? Surprise! I think she still deserves that. So, what's that? Five years ago now. Yeah. 2018 or so, the golf finals at Brighton. Myself and Phil Hansen won. Beginning of our tear, by the way. I think we won like four years in a row. Um, we won a skydiving trip, and Stan was supposed to come with us. Never happened. Been like five years now. Nothing ever came about it. Put the heat on. Dude, I've been, I tagged them in a story like every six months, and I'm like, oh, would love to go skydiving. Do you actually want to go? Yes. Very badly. Okay, because that, that wouldn't be a prize for me. That would be something <laughs> I just don't want to do. That you would wouldn't be, go skydiving. It would be a prize to not have to go. That would really? be That would be my prize. Why? I don't know. Jumping out of the... Pl- I don't... I mean, I'd, I'd do it if I had to. It's just... I was like that at first. And I was like, dude, I don't want to fucking do that. But my, my dad was actually skydiving instructor back in the day. And Madison, too, has gone before. And they were like, you don't even feel like you're falling. Oh, you've done it before. I went skydiving once. Tell, yeah, I've done t- it before. Let's in, hear about it. Um... I used to work at Whole Foods, and this guy celebrated Mongolia's first Olympic medal. I think it was in, like, 2009, 10, I don't know, a while ago. And so we got everyone together, you know, group rate to go skydiving. And so we jump out. Um, he, like, yells out this, like, Mongolian's name, you know, in the middle. It's, like, 40 letters long. You know, this one's for, I don't even know the name. But, uh, yeah, I went skydiving. It was awesome. 10 out of 10 would do it again. Nor got to go. Air Blaster. Maybe we can be like a combo deal here. Yeah. <laughs> Phil Phil go. went on his own like a month or two ago. So he's fine. He doesn't need to go. We can bring Madison instead. Mm-hmm. You save the re- did you save the receipt? Send it to Air Blaster? I, we should. Yeah. yeah. I want Stan just to come too. Oh, that's a good invoice. way to do it. Just yeah. do it and send the invoice. Then it'll get paid. That's yeah. not a bad idea. Genius. Uh, how was your experience skydiving? It, I went skydiving in Baltimore. So like I would definitely <laughs> rather go like, somewhere beautiful perhaps. Baltimore. I don't know. It was kind of not that scary because you don't have time to be scared. Like you're in this, well, you're in this like tiny plane going up, which is like a little weird, but exciting. But then they're just like, put your hand here, put your foot here, like do this. We're going like, you don't really have time to be like uh, freaking out. And then you're just like, it's a feeling that you can't really replicate. However, there is a ride at Lagoon that like replicates it pretty well. The one where you come out of the tunnel and it goes over vert. You like, 
lay down on some shit and then they lift you up and then they drop you. Oh, the, like, it's fly. like a bungee cord looking thing. Yeah, the sky yeah. coaster. I did it with I Grace it and Katie. What's, what's Lagoon? Is that that little roller coaster park like an hour north or something? Yeah, it's B. Well, it doesn't matter for you, but it's BYO and it's really fun. Okay, yeah, I've driven past that so many times and I'm just like, oh, cool, amusement park. Let me tell you something. These gals <laughs> duped me. The other day. <laughs> duped you. I got so duped. I got a phone because this is around Halloween. I get a phone call. From Desiree, hey, can you pick pick us up? We're, we want to go to uh, the fairgrounds. And I'm like, oh, cool. That's right by Rose Park. There's um, like eight of us. We're I, having I'm, a girls' day trying to figure out how to get to Lagoon. So we're like, limo, obviously. Let's go, uh, Chris. I'm like, Desiree, can you call him? Continue. So Desiree calls me. She's like, hey, I'm going to the fairgrounds. I'm like, oh, that's convenient. I'm going to go skate Rose Park. I can give you a ride. I'm actually about to leave my house. She's like, well, can you bring the limo? I got like six ladies with me here. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I'll bring the limo. So I go pick them up to bring to the, them to this location that is right next to where I'm going, mind you. And so uh, as I pick them up, they say, hey, we're actually not going to the fairgrounds. We're going to Lagoon, which is another like 45 minutes away. <laughs> Straight outside of the city. It's during rush hour. Like, yeah. Only during rush Bumper hour. to bumper traffic. <laughs> and I drove the, you know what it ended up being? I'm so glad I did it. I had a blast. I'm driving the limo. The the divider's up. There is six, eight girls back there yeah, getting absolutely like shithoused. Uh, and I was, they were having a blast. They're laughing the whole time. I'm driving them like, I, I had a smile ear to ear the whole time. And um, yeah, we were practicing. Did anybody throw up on the rides or anything? No, no. We uh, <laughs> we were practicing our lines on the drive because we're planning a performance for Bedrock. We're all the casts of Young Money. Um, but <laughs> while we were there, we didn't throw up. However, we did pay a high school kid a hundred dollars for his vape. Yes. And then the, <laughs> then the vape like died by the time. Yeah. Of the Mind you, I had to pull into like a Seven Eleven because they needed beers. Like it was a whole. The whole thing was a train. Oh, that sounds sick. I was though. like, am I gonna get fired yeah. <laughs> it, it ended up i would have 10 out of 10 done it again um all right so uh it's time for hot takes this is a staple uh every episode we do it we started off with the goat of snowboarding both male and female who you got sean sean white sean white or sean black which one yeah sean black for sure yeah <laughs> arbor tm goat um no, he's not the Arbor team anymore. No, it's Sean, though. Like, I'm. Uh, if you're looking at the Michael Jordan, right, we're talking got milk ads. Sean's the closest thing to that. Period. I, for the women, I think it's, it's Jamie. Um, no shade to Jamie. I don't think uh, no one will ever touch the household recognition of Sean, right? Obviously. Jamie's done amazing things and has gone further than almost fucking anybody. But, like... It's, it's the curse of being a woman, right? Everyone knows the Michael Jordan. The household name, they don't know the woman Michael Jordan. Like, it, it, that's example A. I said True. woman Michael Jordan. Who would you even just, say? Right. I don't know. I wouldn't pay attention to basketball. Or, like, even any sport. Yeah. Alex, uh, that soccer player? Megan Rapino. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I think in terms of straight MJ, it's Sean. And then... Jamie's just the goat. Jamie won the most. So when I look at it, I don't look at it like statistics when I do this. It's like, who's your goat? Like for me, for example, I was watching J.P. Walker on the screen in technical difficulties, and he just looked cool. He was marketed cool. I was like, that's that guy's like, you know, he's. I had him up on, like he was godlike to me, and he made me want to 
like thought snowboarding was really cool when I was a little kid and I wanted to slide down rails. I couldn't get why people rode powder because I'm like, it's stupid. There's no rails. Yep. So, so do you have it? Would you change your answer if it was your goat? I don't know because I didn't have that childhood mm-hmm. relationship point. with internal snowboard. I didn't know who anybody was. Like, I didn't watch the videos like we talked about because I went to go look on Netflix for them. Mm. Okay. I like your answer. <laughs> All right. We'll keep it moving. Uh, are, is snowboarding an art or a sport to you? It's a sport. Can I elaborate on that, though? We would love that. Every sport can be artistic. Every soccer player could do something in a very beautiful way that you can call art. It's still a sport at the end of the day. That's how I see it. Because of the physicality of it? Yep. Okay. You know that they're putting breakdancing in the Olympics? Total sidebar. That's Interesting. Cool. Just found that out today. They, they keep trying. You know, Olympics likes like, to throw some things at the wall is if it doesn't a stick. Sport? Is breakdancing a sport? Yeah. Okay. In the Olympics, yes. So if it's in the Olympics, it makes it a sport? Yeah. If you're breakdancing in the wall alone or in the mirror alone in your house, just for you, that's art because you're doing it for you. But I think as soon as you get away from that doing it for you thing, that's where you get into sport territory. Mm. I like that take. Everybody says art. I love the, the sport take. Uh, all right. Who's the most underrated in your opinion? Alex Kirkland. Dope. Would you go steel or powder? Steel, probably. I love riding powder. Don't get me wrong. But, like, fuck, it gets boring sometimes. Like, sometimes it just snows all winter, and I'm like, dude, I'm so fucking sick of this. Like, I just want to go play around in the park. I don't want to keep doing turns all day long. So, and, yeah, that's it. That's kind of like the mid-Atlantic in me, though. You know, like, I never, we didn't get any powder. Like, it was just not a thing. So all the fun I had was just by doinking around trying to hit every rail in the park in one lap. Yeah, that's respect. Yeah. Loyal to the steel. Yeah. You can't, you can't discriminate. What happens when it doesn't snow? You know, all my powder friends, like, it has, like, a bad winter. It hasn't snowed for, forever. I'm not going to go. Well, like, go Red Park. It's the right? shit. Dude, yeah. Pennsylvania snowboarding is actually so crazy. Like, Big Boulder wouldn't open until 3 p.m. You drive an hour and a half after school. It's pitch black. Mm-hmm. Icy as fuck. Yep. You're just hitting rails the whole time. Like, I would not do that now, but then I didn't know any different, so it was the shit. Yeah, and it was open until, like, 10. Yeah, it was, like, 4 to 10. You're just, like... Freezing cold, wearing your hoodie, having the best time. Were you at the most super park at Big Boulder? Mm-mm. That was, like, the most surreal experience for me. Because, like, I mean, you know, going, coming from, like, the East Coast, you don't ever expect events like that to be, like, at home. And, like, when that happened, I was like, this is the coolest booking thing that's ever happened in my life. <laughs> yeah, I can't even imagine. Okay, next one. Uh, best style. Who's, who's got, no, no. Who's got your favorite style? Better question. Who's got your favorite style? Tommy, Mr. Thomas, and then, like, Jamie. Thomas and Jamie are my answers. Thomas. Lock it in. (laughs) All right. Like that. Uh, Favorite method? Ben. Ferg. Favorite video ever made? Most extreme primate <laughs> with the monkey, and he did he did the doom drop. 
That was my favorite video ever made. I think his name is Jack the Chimp. Probably. I think so, yeah. yeah. And I'll be honest, ah, I'd love to like give it to somebody else, but I spent so long just so up my own ass about things that up until maybe a year ago, my answer would have been whatever video I, I filmed. Mm. Yeah, that could have been, Jack the Chimp could have been your goat as well. That would right? have thrown everybody for a curve. <laughs> oh, curve I should have. Um, <clears throat> I guess he could be like... Primate goat? I don't know. Are we primates? Sorry for my ignorance. I think we're Humans primates. primates yeah. Right? yeah. Okay. Um, next question. Favorite snowboard graphic ever made? It's corny, but I loved when I was like a teenager. I thought the forum, uh, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll combo was really freaking cool. And I wanted all of them. But I was also 13. And I can say I haven't really had. A hype like that since, ever since. All right. Uh, we got, what else? This one's kind of boring. Oh, dream sponsor. Probably BlackRock and Vanguard um, or like United Airlines or something. What, what's the first brand? I don't know what that is. Uh, BlackRock is a uh, United States military defense contractor. Okay. It's a private company, and they make war things. Okay. They got a lot of money, though. So you think DuPont you, Chemical Corporation. So you're telling me? So you're looking for a you're looking for a big budget? So you're saying? Hell yeah! You're looking. I'll for, take blood money. I'm yeah, okay. Shit. Okay. Okay. I, love I do. It. All right, I like that. The two stickers on your board are, are BlackRock and United. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't look good on the nose right under the Burton. Yeah. There. Yeah, I like that. Uh, okay, if you go heliboard in three people, good times. You know, maybe there's a powder run, but then there's a couple down bars at the bottom just for a good measure. Yeah. Who are you taking in the heli? Derek Jeter. Like that. Um, George Steinbrenner. And probably Madison. Mmm. Nice. Madison, you made it in the heli. How are you feeling? I have no idea who that second person yeah, is. Yeah, me either. Though. I'm going to be honest. Thanks for asking. Steinbrenner's on the Yankees oh, that's for a very thought. long time. Okay. Dang, I'm with the athletes in that one. Thank you, Nora. Yep. Are you a Yankees fan? Big time. Oh, okay. Can, how yep. can you tell, Chris? Yeah. My dad and I went to, uh, when they tore down the old Yankee Stadium, we went up for, we managed to get like fucking nosebleed tickets for the home run derby that year, but we managed to go right mm. before they tore down the stadium. Wow. We saw three cool. doors down there. I can be your kryptonite. Kind of shit. It was dope. <laughs> I got a bet, I got a Red Sox fan claim. Um, Ex girlfriend of mine, uh, we went to a Red Sox game. Foul ball came off the bat on a rope. We're talking laser beam, the time chugging, uh, large amounts of whiskey. Hell so yeah. re reflex is a little bit slow. <laughs> Thing comes off on a rope, square between the eyes, boom. Head no head gets knocked back. To you? Blood, no, my, my ex. Oh, no. Blood starts squirting out of her nose. Squirting, projectile. And uh, so, like, as a Red Sox fan... Um, she was actually ended up being all right. We actually ended up going to a wedding, and all my Massachusetts cousins were like, "You got a foul ball to the face of Fenway Park? I would pay for that." <laughs> and fucking she, sweetie. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, Chris just picked up the ball, super excited. Like, <laughs> like, so how are you okay? I actually took a selfie right away. <laughs> not lying. Yeah, yep. but anyway, um, just trying to flex my my uh, Red Sox uh, clout right there. I was trying to get some clout. Go birds. We'll we'll let it slide. 
Uh, you say I'm go so- birds over there. That's that, the wrong sport. I'm Jules. sorry that you're a Yankees fan, but we'll, we'll keep going. We will keep <laughs> all right, continue. all right. Last question. Worst trend. Uh, what do you got? There's been a thing where, like, people hit these creeper rails that are a little bit above them, maybe, like, two feet, three feet above their head, and everyone does a 5-0 back one. And I don't know why, but it fucking drives me insane. And that's how I think the only thing that, like, really bugs me is, like, I'm just like, oh, my God, just do a different trick. Like, why do I keep fucking seeing this over and over and over again? Like, do anything. I don't care. I'm sick of seeing 5-0 back ones up on creepers. That's it. That's all I got to say. All right. Thanks for that PSA. <laughs> Sounds like it's living rent free in your head. A little bit. <laughs> I, like, I like a good rant. All right. We got to talk setups. Uh, setups, you got a Burton behind you. What What do you set it up? What is it? It's a uh, Burton Good Company. Um, it's what the Kilroy used to be, but it's under a nice shiny new name these days. We got Burton Lexa bindings on it. Um, I think they run... I got like 20 inches, and I like to do like 12 negative 8. You know, I'm really original. Really, nobody's ever done that before. That's a joke because that's a really fucking normal stance for people to have. Um, But yeah, that's about it. I run the mint boots, which are like the cheap ones because honestly I've never been picky about boots. I kind of like the cheaper ones that I can like break into a little bit quicker and like kind of beat down, and then I get more out of the ankles on it. What about the slider system? Do you like it? I do. Yeah. Stand by it. Live by it. Kneel by it. Uh, What's the width? What's your width? About 20 inches, I think. Nice. Okay. Cool. Uh, you do anything? You detune? You know, if I'm setting up a board at the spot, I have to run a file over it a couple times. Just, just, or I'm going to be convinced that it's going to catch. But if I'm just chilling and I'm just bringing it up on the hill, no, I really try not to detune it at all. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, if I, like, break something and I got to set one up in the street, I'm like, dude, I have to, or I'm going to be thinking about it the whole time. Um, cool. All right. What's, uh, what's next for Nora? What do you got? I'm not sure. Um, we've got uh, some mystery series going on. Burton puts those on. We've got one at Woodward Park City in a couple weeks. It'll have already happened by the time everyone listens to this. Um, But I'm just trying to chill. Like I've said so many times, like I really, really want to get back to like enjoying snowboarding for snowboarding and not using it as a vehicle for all this fucking validation. Like that. Uh, One question I've been thinking about asking this whole time is, do you have advice for somebody struggling with addiction and is looking for a solution? There's a way out. We do recover. It's been said a million times, but it takes fucking work. And until you want to put in the work, I shouldn't say it that way. I should say when you want to put in the work, so many people will be there for you. So many people will have your back. You're not admitting defeat by saying you need help. Every single person that's become a drug addict has had to go down the same path of admitting that they can't fucking do it on their own and that they're going to die if they don't ask for help. And once you're there, I promise the world will open up for you. And so many people that you thought 
we're going to cut you out. We're going to judge you. We're going to be like, oh, that's why you're fucking, you never hang out anymore. Those exact same people will drop everything in their life to help you. And, but you have to be ready to put in the work. Great advice. Okay, uh, last thing. Do you want to throw out any thank yous before we wrap this thing up? I mean, I got to thank my mom, right? First one. I want to thank my mom. I, I want to thank my family. I want to thank my siblings for always being there for me. For as annoying as I've always been, they've never turned their backs on me. Like, I want to thank Madison. I want to thank all of my friends. And I really want to thank every single person. When I, when I got hurt last year, uh, Laura Rogoski, can we get an oh, for yeah. her? Really went out of her way to make sure that I wouldn't have to worry about the bills of everything. And we set up a GoFundMe, and it was not, it was not my idea. But I can't thank her and thank the, the people that I've never met before, that I still will never meet in my life, that, like, gave something to me. Because that's in incredible. Like, I can never repay that. It was in such an important time of my life that when I needed it so badly and, like, I just, I don't know how I can say anything but, like, thank you, guys. Like, thank you so so much, because I would not be here if it was not for you guys. Um, and I want to thank Pat Dodge for being a good guy. I want to thank everyone at Burton, like everyone at Tactics, Jordan DeMoss. You've run that fucking show for years, and you deserve so much more credit than you get. I'm struggling. I'm sure you struggle to come up with names for everyone, but like you know who you are. If you feel like you should have been thanked, you fucking do deserve it. And I'm saying thank you right now. I like that take. Thanks. Well, we want to say thank you for coming on, sharing your story. It's been a fun chat. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for letting me yammer away for a while. Sorry my big old dumb dog was being a menace. It was great. good. It was good flavor. Thanks. Jules, thanks for coming chatting. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It was great. Madison, thanks for coming in studio. Queen. Thanks, y'all. Queen. Silk, as always. Pleasure. Yep, pleasure. And I got to say thank you to all of our Patreon members that support the show. Couldn't do it without you. All of our sponsors, everybody that tunes in. Uh, we appreciate you, and we got another episode coming at you next Wednesday. Over and out from the bomb hole.